Welcome to Rogue Bogues. This is episode 23. Good layoff. How you going, Mike? Bogues, doing all right, brother. Just, uh, it's playoff central. So just trying to sort of navigate through this and then new firings and hirings in the NBA. It's a pretty interesting time. Yeah. Can't wait to give our picks that will be wrong um, shortly. Ah. Nice. Yeah, it's been uh, it's, it's been interesting. You know, the injuries have played their part and watching a game right now, which we'll discuss shortly in Milwaukee and Brooklyn and James Harden just left with a uh, tweak, a retweak of his hamstring. So that um that could change the way the series goes as well. But uh, let's get, I mean, let's just get into them. Brooklyn, Milwaukee. I mean, you, we both picked Brooklyn to win this series uh, for obvious reasons, but how do you see this Harden injury changing changing the dynamic? Do you think it, it gives the Bucks a chance to – obviously, it gives them a better chance, but do you think they still have you know the, the team to beat Brooklyn in a seven-game series? I mean, Milwaukee was going to compete either way. I thought it would be a close series. That you know, As good as Brooklyn is and, and, and how much firepower they have offensively and how hard they play it, you knew Milwaukee was going to give them something, especially you know they they got a good they got a good cast of players in the in their top eight, and uh, you thought you thought it was going to be semi close either way, but I mean obviously without James Harden, this is going to be a lot uh, obviously a you know a lot closer series than even even I thought it was even before the the injury happened. So I think Milwaukee, look, it's a perfect opportunity to take advantage, and you know how these injuries go; it changes your it changes your trajectory in, in fucking two seconds. And, you know, nothing – you can never plan for it. It just comes out of the blue. What do you think, Bogues? What do you, what's your take? I think it would be closer. I think, um, you know, I think it goes six or seven regardless of the injuries. I think Brooklyn still, you know, they're going to they're gonna get a game or two where, you know, Durant or Kyrie have 40 or 50 um, in this series. They're going to have one or two of those games, which they'll win. So, I think – I think they have enough in that front. But what I've been interested watching in this, at least game one, is Blake Griffin. He's he's had a phenomenal impact with being the utilities guy on this squad. Um, he's His role obviously is diminished compared to what he was with Detroit and the Clippers. And I kind of spoke about this months ago when, when they first got him and we had that debate about whether he has any athleticism left. I think now, you know, his usage is down. He's not called upon to score the ball. He's diving. He just dove on a loose ball earlier in this game, which is live right now as we record. He's trying to be that utilities guy, and I think it's a good role for him, and I think he's done a good job with it. And if they get him to, to provide that and Jeff Green comes back from injury, a bit more healthy, um, you know, DeAndre's input if he's needed and and the young fella Claxton, I think they've still got a good mix of role players to – to beat up uh, Giannis in that paint, and that's that's what it's going to come down to. If they can just kind of not let Giannis have those 40, 10, and 8 nights, I think they'll they'll wrap the series up pretty easily. But if Giannis has those nights, it's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, with, with Griffin, uh, I talked to Rondo a lot about, you know, later in his career, what he's been doing coming off the bench, and, you know, he sort of really likes it. He likes it. It's better on his body, and he hasn't been ravaged with injury like Blake has throughout his career. So... You know, with the lesser role, the lesser usage, the lesser minutes that he's used to, I, I think it's really good for him. And the lesser role, he has a, you know, doesn't have to do as much. And then he'll give you every few games, he can give you a, a really good outing, you know, as far as usage is concerned. So it, it'll be interesting, like you said, that you can't let Giannis go nuts. You just got to sort of, you can't let anybody explode, and especially in this series and with you know, with Holiday or or Middleton, you know, or Greek Freak, like you gotta just keep people a little bit in check, and they still has a they have a really good chance still of winning the series. But yeah, I mean, 
you know, they're, they're still a well-oiled machine, Brooklyn. Like they've got, you know, next man up mentality. And I think that they got enough, enough to win the series. It's just, it's, it'll be interesting, man. Like they can't really afford much more though on the injury front. So it, it'll be, you know, you know how it is at this time of year, everybody's banged up. So it'll be interesting. We'll see what happens. Yeah, a lot of games in a short amount of time too, usually every other day, at least in the first, second round, and then it kind of slows down a little bit. But with, you know, factoring travel as well, I think that'll be one of the better series in, in the second round. We have after that in the East, Atlanta, Philly. What do you see there? Same thing. In- injuries sort of, you know, just the injury stuff kills, you know, Embiid with the knee. You know, this is going to be a huge thing for Philly, like, They've got some firepower, obviously, without him, with Tobias and, you know, Seth Curry has done well and, you know, Ben Simmons can give you some offense here and there. But it'll be interesting if, if he can't go, what they do and how they sort of, you know, obviously <sighs> Dwight Howard will play and they've got some other guys who can play some minutes and Phil play small. But, um, you know, without Joel Embiid, it, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be tough. It'll be tough. I still... I still think Philly could beat Atlanta, but Atlanta's on a roll, though. Like, they're feeling it. They're confident. You know how important confidence is in the NBA. Like, Trey Young, Bogdanovich, all those guys are sort of going hot at each other. I still think Philly could squeak this one out without Embiid. I remember with the Lakers in 10, Will um, Andrew Bynum had the sort of a torn meniscus, and he was sort of limited what he can do. And if it wasn't for Perkins tearing his knee up, in game six, I would Boston was going to take that series pretty easily going back to L.A. But, you know, I think that Embiid, if he does play, he's going to be hampered by this thing. It's going to be a tough, tough series going forward. I think they could still squeak through Atlanta. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I agree with you on the Embiid front. I, I think the thing I liked about Philly and why I thought they probably had a chance to at least push Brooklyn or Milwaukee, wherever they face, even Atlanta, is the the, the only – you know, they're the only team out east that has a true big man that can really demand a double team on the on the block and you know, and beats had an MVP caliber year. I still think Philly get through this series. I think they I base it on they have a lot of length to throw at Trey Young. And I think he's gonna you know, he's still gonna get his, but I think he's gonna have to work much harder than he did against New York. Um, you know, you got Matisse Thibault will have a shot at him, Danny Green will have a shot at him, Ben Simmons will have a shot at him. That's a three headed defensive monster on the perimeter with length, smarts, basketball IQ. And they're all rated pretty highly as defenders. So I think that's where the series is going to be won. Um, the role players, if Atlanta to have any chance, you know, your Bogdanoviches, even Capella had a great series against New York. He needs to continue that. The role playing guys, the second, third, fourth string guys have to have big series. And I guess that's not rocket science. That makes sense in most series. But I just don't think Trey Young is going to have 40 on, on a high shooting clip throughout the series. I think if he, if he's hitting 30, 40 points in certain games, I think it's going to, it's going to be a grind for him to get to, to get there. And then my concern is what toll does that take later on in the series? If it does go, you know, five, six or seven, I think, you know, Trey's just going to be worn out. And that's kind of why even with that Embiid, I think they can still salvage uh, um, a playoff series win against Atlanta. Yeah, I think, you know, Atlanta, I mean, New York and Philly, you know, comparing the two defensively, I think obviously Thibodeau gets the edge over Doc uh, as far as how they coach defense as a team. You know, as far as what they, you know, what they brought to trade defensively as a team and rotations and just being prepared on the defensive side. But they don't have the individual defenders that Philly has, you know, and, and it's going to be a lot tougher. Like you saw, you know, you saw it with the Clippers in Dallas, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, like the difference between having Beverly and Jackson on Doncic and then having a steady diet of, 
you know, Kawhi and Paul George on, on, on Doncic. It's sort of, you know, when you have those long arm defenders that are wired for defense, like a Simmons and Thibault, you know, I, I just think it's a lot tougher, like you said, to get those shots up. It's, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at a lot more length, a lot more size, a lot more just sort of wiring for defense. It, it's a lot tougher, you know, rather than having a good defensive team that you're facing without the individual defenders that those guys have. So, no doubt, it'll be interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, no doubt. You hit on the head. And I think, you know, you referenced Doncic. I mean, even, even in this Brooklyn Milwaukee game, PJ Tucker guarding Durant's done a pretty good job. But look, those those players are still going to get theirs every now and then, and they're still going to mm-hmm. they're still going to give you a forty or fifty ball, but. It's that, like yeah. you said, that length of hey, I'm, I'm I've got by Kawhi, but he's he's kind of rear contest, and he can get to he can get to a couple of my shots in the rear contest, whereas a Reggie Jackson probably can't, or or a smaller guy. And I think that length um, is why why I pick Philly in that series. And you know, we hope I hope Embiid can get healthy. I just I just don't see how playing on a torn meniscus in the playoffs that he's he, he won't be healthy throughout. I don't think. Folks, I, re- I like I said, I'll, I'll go back to the Bynum thing again. I remember talking to Kobe about it, and he goes, Mike. He can't move, but he's still effective. But he can't move, you know. And they they had a they had they had garbage after that to throw in, you know, to back up Bynum. And I think Embiid, you know, I don't know what he'll do. Injection, whatever, witch doctor. I don't know what they're gonna throw at him, Mister Miyagi. You know, putting that green stuff on his knee. Like I don't know what they're gonna throw at him to get him healthy. But like, um, it'll be interesting. It just I. I think it'll be too difficult to really make a huge impact on the series. Now, good thing they have Dwight Howard. You know, um, I don't know how many people actually said that in the last few years, but thank <laughs> goodness they do have him because he is, he, he does give you, you know, he, he has, he does give you some good minutes and solid. Obviously, they're going to miss his offense. And I think it's that firepower that, that's probably not going to get him to the finals. You know, though, he could probably get him to Atlanta, but. That knee, I just, I can't, I'm no doctor, you know, I'm a doctor of bullshit and fucking, you know, and fucking cholesterol. I don't know anything else about sports medicine, about how that's going to be impacted. I just can't see him really being an impact the rest of the playoffs with that fucking knee. Well, we saw that what that happened, you know, to, to Anthony Davis, which we'll move on now to Phoenix and Denver, but just touch on that Lakers-Phoenix series. We saw what, you know, you and I spoke in our few group chats that we had um, as soon as Davis was announced that he did a groin or an adductor, however they worded it, um, and I think I put in the chat, they said he's, he's day-to-day, and I wrote, there's no way you're day-to-day with a groin or a doctor, like, because I'm no doctor neither, but as an athlete, I know your, doc- your doctor and your groin, it's, it's connected up to your to your core system, your back, your hips, everything gets thrown out of whack, and he tried he tried to come back, which was which was interesting, and, and he was he was basically useless out there because of that injury, you know, you, you, as soon as he had to make a hard pivot and then try to jump real quick to block that shot he tweaked it straight away and i think that's the thing you worry about with an mb now i think a meniscus isn't as restricting to an extent as an adductor but it's it's pain threshold and it's and it's movement you know your your reaction to to move laterally or or burst might be a little bit slower than it usually is and in an nba game if you lose a bit of your effectiveness or quickness by a millisecond you're getting blown by so i totally agree i think it's it's going to be very very interesting to see um, Dwight Howard has had a f- fantastic last two years, I think. The Lakers was was a great role for him, and he's had a similar role with Philly. So they've got an insurance policy there, a guy that has done it before and, and played at a high level and arguably could be could be in the Hall of Fame. That's not here or there. Some people say yes, some people say no. So a very good caliber player, but that scoring on the block for Philly is just going to really 
really be interesting how they get those points back, especially with you know those offensive lineups we talk about are great, Matisse Thibault and Ben Simmons. But then then the elephant in the room in that lineup is who's who's getting you a bucket. You're basically relying on on Seth Curry to drop thirty for you. Um, whereas I think he's he's better as a second third option off double teams, wide open threes. So anyhow, Phoenix Denver. What do you what do you see in that series, folks? I completely bet against anything Phoenix related for no reason at all, except fucking I'm a moron. But I'm just gonna continue with it, you know, because hey, look, if you're fucking the Michael Jordan of being a fucking complete moron, might as well go with it. I'm gonna go with Denver over Phoenix, like. You know, everyone says Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray. They can't do it without Jamal Murray, blah, blah, blah. Like, Jamal Murray was, a, is you know, did unbelievably last year in the bubble. This year, obviously put up like 21 and 4. He was effective. But they just sort of, you know, it's a next man up mentality for them. Aaron Gordon really has been effective for them, you know, in that role. Michael Porter Jr. has really taken a, a next step in his sort of development. And, you know, Monty Morris and Compazzo, like, those guys play hard as hell. And then, obviously, with Jokic, what he's doing, I I still think it'll be too much for, you know, for Phoenix. But, again, Jamal Murray does give him that punch a little bit more offensively. But I'm telling you, those guys play hard as hell. And, you know, Michael Malone's got those guys going. I I I still think they can get by Phoenix. What do you think? That's a tough one. I think the the Murray point, that you just made the beauty of not the beauty of that injury, but the the silver lining is now instead of ISO to Murray, they're just throwing it to Jokic a whole lot more. So it's actually not a not a bad thing because now Jokic is getting an extra 10, 15% usage that he usually doesn't get. So that that's been interesting to watch. And I think you, you probably can't find a a better option, um, especially late in the shot clock or, you know, demanding double teams, finding the right, you know, the the right pass out of double teams. He's done just such a fantastic job of that throughout his career. But the the, the last playoff series was was unbelievable. I don't know, man. I'm I'm kind of cognizant. Uh, I'm kind of scared to bet against Phoenix again. You know, like we, we messed up the coach of the year. Um, yeah. We've bet against them at all stops because you just kind of thought Phoenix the last season. Uh, yeah, they're probably just lucky to be there. The bubble, the coronavirus. But I think they have a chance. Um, but the one thing I yeah. read, which was interesting, DeAndre Aiden made some comments um, today or yesterday about. That he has, you know, Jokic is the the big in the one big in the league that he's always struggled against. Now, <laughs> I'm not sure you want to make that public, but he did. Uh, I kind of like it in a way, you know. He's giving himself some motivation that he needs to step up, and that that is a concern of of what does Phoenix do just to stymie Jokic? Because you know, pe- coaches will draw up, oh, should, should we double him? But that you just can't double that guy because he's gonna he's gonna get a feet set wide open shot for someone as soon as you double um and, and if that's what you want to give up that's a pretty bad poison to give up early in games so if I had to pick I would I might I might go with money I'd go four three Phoenix just based on you know Chris Paul's shoulder is a bit of a concern but Phoenix just have some sort of you know old school east coast eastern conference grittiness toughness about him you know I love the way Jay Crowd is playing he's just you know no nonsense just hard hat and talking shit and just not not afraid to mix it up with whoever I think he's been huge for them Devin Booker had obviously a, a great closeout game against the Lakers so I'll go Phoenix 4-3 just so we can be opposite yo with Jokic I would just single him just fucking let him kill you because he will I'd rather him just kill me and, and limit his passing a little bit and just like do his thing but 
once you start getting Porter cutting and Gordon cutting on spot ups and Millsap and, you know, the point guards are cutting off the post and all that shit, Jokic is a fucking problem. And that whole thing Aiton said, don't worry about it because 28 motherfuckers said the same thing. Because that <laughs> yeah, Jokic yeah, has yeah. given everybody a fucking problem. You could have Will Chamberlain, Walton, Elijah and Ewing in this fucking, uh, all in a one, and this fucking guy w- would do what he does. So I think it's going to be a great series. It'll be a grinded out. I think it'll be a grinded out series, to be honest. And two guys, you know, two teams that sort of play sort of that style. They're both tough. They both have, you know, they have a lot of weapons. They, you know, they, they have floor spaces. I want to see Bridges. I want to see, you know, on the other side, Bridges, Crowder, those guys, you know, campaign has played well so it'll be a fun series i think i think it'll be you know a fun one to watch it's kind of the complete opposite of the series denver just went through so that, that's the other adjustment that denver's gonna have to make <laughs> they've gone from you know portland which we've laughed about played no defense denver are okay defensively not great to now phoenix yep. coming from the lakers series which was a grind out series generally under around about 100 points a game now, it's going to be that chess match of does Monty want that in the 90s if possible and does Denver want that in the 110s? It's going to be who the, the push or pull of who wins that. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and your point on Jokic, i got a friend of mine, Marco. Shout out to Marco, Serbian guy. He's a, obviously a Denver fan because of Jokic. And I discuss, we've discussed this at length. I said I would almost let Jokic have 50. I think Jokic is most dangerous when he has a 35, 14, and 11 line. Um, if he has a 50 or a 48 and five and five, I think you, you, you got a better chance to win that game because those 14 assists are his usually, uh, either for layups, like you mm-hmm. said, Gordon slashing, back doors, Porter, or their feet set wide open three. So, you know, you make him work for, for his, his points. I think early in a series, maybe too, um, and try to really make him 40 minutes of, of earning every bucket. You maybe you tire him out later on in the series, but I, I agree with you. If, if he has those those balanced lines, everyone feels involved. The offense is clicking. The other thing is when one guy's your go to scoring guy, the problem is that late in games, if other guys haven't felt the ball, haven't been involved, then you can go to that double team maybe. You know, because then you can go to that double team and make him swing, swing, swing to Porter in the corner. Hasn't touched a ball in fifteen possessions or hasn't hit a shot for a while. Then then you you know you put your your money on like, hey, we're going to pick on you and, and see if you can knock one down without feeling in rhythm. So there definitely is an argument there. Yeah, he's fucking amazing, man. Like those pick and pops where you know they try to fucking go out and got him and he just blows by you. Yeah, he's like a fucking manatee, just uh, fucking blowing by you. Like all one speed, though. That's a great. That's a great yeah. thing about him. Like, there's nothing fancy about his. Foot- no, you know, his footwork's great. It's just great, but he's not like your pet peeve of doing, you know, step back crossover Fuck behind. Him, but he's no. just like one speed. He sees which way you're leaning or the weight weight of your body is, and then picks on that and just. Just goes by you at that same speed, almost annoyingly. Like, because <laughs> you're like, this, how is this yeah. guy? How is this dude getting by me? <laughs> like, but like, like you said, I've done it to everybody in the league. So fun to watch. The last series, we don't really know who's going to be in it yet. Utah versus either the Clippers or Dallas. So let's go uh, Clippers Dallas game seven in LA. Now, the funny thing about this series is the first seven game series in NBA history, which we'll touch on later, that a home team has not won a game. <laughs> which is an amazing stat. So every every uh, road team has won in this series. So, I mean, does that favor the Clippers going back to LA? Fucking amazing, this series, man. Last game might have been one of the best games in the playoffs to watch because game six was an old school. Actually, both teams were engaged in defense, which you haven't seen that in a long fucking time. 
Both teams are engaged in defense. A lot of mid-range shots, just not jacking up 82 footers. It was a fun game to watch. Just, you know, not, not that anything was spectacular about it, but just sort of the style. I think that LA sort of, if both those guys, George and Leonard, show up, if they show up, they're going to win this game pretty handedly, 10, 12 points. But if, they, if they're wishy-washy about it and go seven minutes where they're fucking throwing the ball away and doing, you know, doing just like they don't tighten their act up, you know, and then you let Doncic do what he does, uh, it, it, it'll be closer than it should be. But, you know, my hat's off to Dallas of what they've done, man. Like, you know, Carlisle with that, with that, you know, putting Boban in the starting lineup, like that's, to me, like I said, coaching's overrated in the NBA because it's mostly on your talent. But I think this is where you pay for coaching, you know, where, you know, people could like make the adjustments in playoff series, you know, to, for that, that go in their favor and just make the change that's going to, you know, really impact the game. And I think Boban and that, you know, in short spurts have been now as it you know, has been very effective for them. But as it goes longer into it, obviously, it's less effective. But I think that the Clippers should win this by about 11 points. But. Hey, fuck, not one team has stepped up at home yet. So I have no fucking, I have no idea which way to turn on it, but I'm going to say Clippers by 11. What do you say? Yeah, yeah, I mean, the betting, I think the betting people are all saying the Clippers, um, but you just don't know. Like you said, you don't know who's going to show off for the Clippers. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, a lot, been a lot of adjustments. Carlisle, like you said, he went the anti small ball with an anti big ball, which was, I think it was a ballsy move. And, like you said, one that a coach with experience is okay to make, and you got to make those moves every now and then, um, and, and it worked for him in Game Five, and now Game Six was was a different adjustment. So it's been a fun series. I don't think anyone thought it would go seven. We thought maybe five or six, uh, but to go seven, got in the, in the fashion that it has, like to not win a home game on your home floor, <laughs> it's just bonkers. It's just it just yeah. it, it is where the world is. Coronavirus and everything imploding. It makes sense, right? But I think the Clippers will get through that one. Um, just. And, you know, Kawhi, I think, is starting to find a really good rhythm. Um, you know, we talk about Paul George and Kawhi's team. Let's be clear, it's Kawhi's team. I mean, Paul George is, to me, is the second option to Kawhi on that team. And a very good very good second option, don't get me wrong. But I think it's they go as far as Kawhi takes them. If Kawhi has a quiet game and Paul George kills it, I, I don't think they win many games in the playoffs. That's just my opinion. I think Kawhi, just so efficient, gets the free throw line a lot, but... Yeah, defensively as well. If they can, if they can keep that length on on Doncic and and keep those two, you know, Kawhi and Paul George out of foul trouble on Doncic, I think they have a they have a big case. But Dallas just relies; they're so reliant on on Doncic. If he, he's not balling for them, they lose. The other thing is uh, that we've spoken about before. I mean, Porzingis in Game Six, he looked like he was already on yeah. vacation. He, he he does not look happy out there, bro. Like it, it, there's something going on there. I'm not I'm not sure you know what happens in the off season, but he looks pissed. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about the Porzingis thing, and we've talked about it at length here too but like look going back to it real quick like the trade itself to acquire the guy I think a, a thousand percent of the people would say they won that trade a thousand percent to zero they traded him everything that they weren't going to use going forward to get a player that was an all-star caliber player and I think that they didn't know exactly how Doncic was going to play as far as like they knew what they had as far as like he's going to be a really good player but I don't think they knew how he's going to take the league over like he has, and then how he has to play. And with Porzingis, you got to give him the ball. You got to post him up. You got to let him hold the ball a little bit. The problem is, A, that's not how Dallas wants to play. They don't want to post anybody up. 
B, Doncic plays much better. I mean, he can play better with anybody. Like, it doesn't matter if it's Porzingis or anybody. The guy just figures it out. But he's better when he has a rolling five and three other guys that could just shoot straight line drive and, got, and defend. And he needs less people to hold the ball. And Porzingis, the way he plays, it's just, look, when he re-signed him, I thought it was going to be a 50-50 when they traded for him that he was going to sign back with Dallas. They haven't really signed anybody great in free agency over the years. You know, so I thought there were going to be other people that were going to sign him. They signed him, and I don't think anybody really argued with that either. It's just the way he plays versus the way Doncic needs to play. And he's unsure of himself because of the injuries that he's had. Hasn't really had long stretches where he's played 15, 20 games in a row without getting hurt or having to sit out back-to-backs and things like that. So I don't think that he rushes. He's passive now because I don't think he knows when to shoot, when not to shoot. And he doesn't shoot it well enough. He's very streaky with that, but he can make shots. But he's not – that's the problem. Like he, He's sort of like – what do I do in, in a sense? But at, at points, he could make a shot. He could drive you. He could cut. He could do some things. But the way they need him to play versus the way he's sort of wired to play is what's fucking everything up. And then the guy makes just shy of $100 million over the next three years. So I don't see that ending anytime soon because I don't think any team, unless it's a multiple team trade and things like that, I don't think there's a lot of teams, you know, he's sort of like, you know, I don't think there's a lot of teams that are going to try to acquire that $30 million into their cap, you know, and give you assets in return. So I don't know how that goes. And I think you'd have better just playing Powell, to be honest with you. And playing, like I said, play him off the bench, let him get it, let him get going a little bit offensively. But I think Powell plays much better in that environment where, you know, they go with Kleber and they go with, you know, they go with Hardaway, Kleber, and Smith with Powell. And now they got guys who could switch, they could guard people, and they got their rolling five. The problem is the Clippers force the ball out of Doncic's hands, and those guys have to make a play. Hardaway has been very good this year, unbelievably good this year, but they don't really have that consistency of throwing the ball out of his hands and giving it to somebody who's a playmaker. Dorian Finney-Smith can make shots, he can straight line drive you, but he's not a playmaker. Hardaway has been good, but very streaky. Kleber's more of a, you know, straight line driver, spot up shooter. The next play, like that next guaranteed number two guy that could get a shot. That's what they're missing. And, you know, it's, it's just been an interesting series to watch. I, I loved it because they actually going big a little bit, playing through the post a little bit. I've, you, know, you don't see that a lot in, in the mid range with Kawhi. Like Kawhi's taken five wild shots the whole series. Like everybody, you know, working on that, all players at home working on those bullshit fucking moves, those trainers are robbing you money of every fucking summer. He doesn't do it. It's, it's un- he's an unbelievable player to watch. It's either a straight line drive, a mid-range pull up, a post up spin, pick and roll finish, pick and roll three if they go under. And then he'll get into a little bit of an ISO game when he needs to. But five of them. I counted, well, maybe a little bit more that he missed, but there has been very few of those. And he's just a, you know, a calming effect for the Clippers just being an, a very efficient player. Yeah, and and um, it'd just be interesting. I, I like the Porzingis off the bench theory because I think it then gives a scoring punch off the bench and then you can rest Luca for a little bit and then go through Porzingis, um, whereas right now, I just don't think they work well together. Honestly, I think they, you know, you blitz, you blitz Doncic 
and Porzingis is just popping at a three. You throw it to Porzingis. He, he hangs on to it for a couple of seconds before he makes a decision, whereas I think Powell sprinting down from the baseline into a pick and roll and rolling while Doncic is attacking downhill and at least gets Doncic in the paint um, and, and, and makes the defense have to at least have taggers to rotate and whatnot. So I like that adjustment, but obviously they see something we don't. They, you know, they, they, they're they they're living and dying by Porzingis at the five and even at the four now with Marjanovic starting. So it'll be interesting to see if there's one final change, one final curveball in that series. But either way, they will face Utah. I guess we can't get too in-depth because we don't know who it is, but I think Utah's, you know, in a good spot. I think they um they definitely have a chance. I think, you know, Utah you'd argue would do much better against Dallas. Utah I think dominated them for the most part in the regular season. Blew them out a couple of times and it was really, really ugly. I think the Clippers pose much more of a threat to um to Utah, obviously, right? Totally agree. Especially with home court advantage, the way that you know Utah's playing, their rim protection, their shooting, the ball movement, I, I think that I think the Clippers will have a much better chance. I, I'm going to say that I think Utah is going to win regardless. Okay, big call. Yeah, that's a big call by a fatso. But yes, <laughs> I think so. Um, I think they're going to win regardless. It hasn't really been like the more they played together, the more games they played, the Clippers have played much better. It's just up and down, you know, and their mental focus just isn't there enough to me. And, and again, me saying that, I'm just fucking the whole Salt Lake community because, you know, it's probably going to be a 4-0 sweep if anybody plays them now, if I'm picking them to win, but <laughs> with my pick, my, my betting prowess. But I think that they're they're sort of in tune with what they need. They're focused. Everybody's favorite Australian can go off at any time. I think that they're into it. As long as Donovan Mitchell, you know, stays healthy and things like that, they just have so many weapons. They move the ball. They play great. I, I think they could win either way, but that's just me. What do you think, Bogues, on that? I hope I hope they will. I think the Clippers will push them. I think the, you know, Zubats, obviously, if the Clippers get through, will have to go from playing basically no minutes these last three or four games against Dallas to probably a 20 to 30 minute roll with, with Gobert. A bucko, who knows where his health's at, but I think they'll push them. I think it'll be a, a much closer series. You know, there's a lot going to be emphasized on, on a Joe Ingles and even Jordan Clarkson at times defensively because they're going to have to be guarding a Paul George or a, um, you know, even Reggie Jackson's had a pretty good series for, for Dallas for the most part. So the defense will be, will be key, but I think, you know, I think Quinn does a, the head coach of Utah does a fantastic job having these guys ready defensively and their schemes and their team concepts, they do a real good job defensively. So I would love to see Utah get through. Quinn's the head coach, not Utah. He's not the head coach of Utah. Johnny Utah. No, it's unfortunately not. I called him Utah. <laughs> so the last time, so I, I totally played that Quinn's name. That Utah guy. Yeah. But I think they got, they, they, they got a really good chance. Uh, you know, yeah. they play that balanced style. And, and I think the clip, the clip is prepping for Utah. I think T, T Lou will be in that film room for a while. Um, just because it's, you got to pick your poison. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell's the, the head of the snake when they go for, you know, ISO ball and need a bucket. But other than that, they've got so much weapons, Clarkson, Bogdanovich and Ingles. And you still got to take care of the big fella rolling and get a body on him and go bare. And Faber's off the bench is playing well, so they got a good balanced team. I'd love to. I'd love to just see a team, a team basketball style um, beat an ISO style on the Clippers. I think it's good for the game. But let's move on to your your guy, Danny Ainge. Gone. He's gone out of Boston. Yeah. Uh, interesting pivot. One you don't really see very often. So, well, not straight away. Usually it takes a a couple of years. Um, but to jump straight from 
holding the clipboard. Brad Stevens is now gone into a front office role, um, taking basically you know Danny Ange's job essentially. So, uh, how have you seen all that with your Boston ties, and, and what have you heard? You sort of hear conflicting stories, and it's all over the place about a million different things. I don't know. It just seems to me that it wasn't going great. That Danny just sort of you know he's been there a long time. He's been there what eighteen years and. I think it just sort of had enough. It just sort of got to a point where it's a, you know, they got to as far as they can get. Maybe he felt as though that it's just time to step away. I don't think that he was forced out, in my opinion. I think it's just sort of like, I, you know, because he could have easily gone another year, if not longer. But even if they struggle next year, you know, they probably they may have to make a change after next year if they, if that, if they would keep going with everybody intact. The Stevens thing. It has to be a little bit of financial motivation because I think he just signed like a six-year deal. I assume he's probably making close to $7 million a year. So it's a lot of fucking money if they were going to let him go just to let him go. Because now with Ainge gone, you'd have to get a primetime GM, a primetime coach, or at least the best coach you can get, and you still have to pay Stevens. So I think that... You know, they probably just sort of said, hey, you know, I don't know what decision was made. He said he was a little burnt out of coaching. It was time that if he just left on his own, then like he forfeits that money. So I think that he sits there for a year or two. He gets to pick the next coach, which is pretty cool for a coach to do, I guess. And I, I assume he'll probably be coaching in the next two years, you know, back in the NBA. But I think, you know, it's probably good to step away for a little bit. And for the Celtics, they could sort of look. Their team's built. They're really not. There's not a lot of changes they can make unless they want to trade either Brown or, or Tatum, which I don't. I don't see that happening. Wait. So you think you think Brad Stevens will be coaching you in the next couple of years? Is that what you said? Oh yeah, I think so. And again, I don't know anything. I could be totally wrong. Yep. Maybe he said fuck it. But like the guy's like 44 years old, and he's a coach. Like he's a coach. He's fired up to coach. It's not one of those guys that like doing TV. They don't know if they want to run a team. They, 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 they like sort of pivoting. Like, that guy's a coach. That's all he knows. It's what he likes. Like, I'm not saying that he can't do the job, which he'll be – I think he'll be fine running a team. Like, when you run a team, Bogues, especially in these days, you've got all the staff to do a lot of the stuff that you're sort of weak at. Cap management, you know, the scouting piece – you know, just sort of the trades, obviously, that you, you haven't really been involved with that stuff. So they'll, they'll have the staff around him to sort of like do a lot of the stuff that he needs to do. And he gets to pick the coach and he could, you know, he's probably going to be involved, you know, and hands on a little bit with the coach going forward unless they hire a, a retread that's been around for a long time. So it, it's interesting because Danny, Danny's done an, an unbelievable job there, you know, in the sense that when he took the job over, you know, the team was sort of coming off their Eastern Conference Finals. He takes the job like late year. They brought him in like during the playoffs of the um, like an 03. He comes in. He blows the team up. They're bad for a few years. He hire, gets Doc Rivers to coach. You know, does the Garnett deal. Championship. If Garnett doesn't go down in 09 with that knee injury, they probably win. On, they probably challenge the Lakers again in 09. They were lucky as hell, you know, that they – the Lakers were lucky as hell that Perkins got hurt in 10. So, you're looking at multiple championship there. He then does the Brooklyn heist where, you know, he gets all those draft picks that ends up getting them Brown and Tatum. 
you know, from um, throughout the draft. And that builds them up again for a, multiple Eastern Conference finals and just couldn't get over the hump. Now, the draft picks weren't great later on that he drafted the, the guys that he had to dra- draft mid and late round. But I think what he's done, most GMs haven't done for their own teams and brought him into a championship and then probably could have won multiple and now have have a couple of all-star young players in the lineup, you know. Um, it's interesting. What, what do you take? What's your take on it, both? It's a strange pivot, one that you don't see very often. Um, you, you ever really see a coach stepping down or whatever, however they want to word it, and moving in and taking the GM job. It just doesn't really happen. Usually you see a head coach getting a job and then demanding to be the president as well, a la Van Gundy and a la Doc and whatnot. Um, but yeah, this is just a strange pivot that I haven't seen, so I thought it was pretty pretty good to discuss. What are you hearing? Are you hearing anything as far as who they'd be looking at? Who would be in um, Brad Stevens' wheelhouse? Will he go probably college route or will he look to hire within the league? I think that there's always somebody coming out of the blue that like everyone thinks that uh, never thinks about. You know, it was Brad Stevens when the Celtics, you know, sort of hired somebody for Doc, but um, Jay Wright, like every, I think every fucking NBA team, they're on their training manual. It says when we have a head coaching vacancy, offer it to Jay Wright of Villanova because everybody <laughs> offers Jay Wright. And Jay Wright, like fucking Shashesky did 15 years ago, tells him to fuck off, and we don't want to. I don't want to coach. And I think that that's going to be the same thing. They'll probably go after him first. I think that they'll go after a lot of people and they'll talk to a lot of people, assistants, head coaches. I think that it's one of those jobs where it's a turnkey thing. You've got two all-stars. You've got Kemba Walker, who's hasn't been great, but still very good. Um, they've got some role players that aren't bad. They got young, you know, a couple of young kids that aren't bad. So I, I don't think they're gonna go the assistant route now. It's a perfect opportunity. I haven't heard that. Now I've I've heard some rumblings, but you know, most of it's bullshit. Like it's funny, like when media guys throw out coaches that you know they're boys with, so they'll always have an angle like, oh, you know, like you know, Chauncey Billups is this, and, and you know that he's boys with Chauncey Billups or this or that. You know, you've I, I have heard that Becky Hammond's name has coming coming up a little bit more in Boston. You know, if that has a chance, that would be the perfect opportunity to hire to hire Becky now. A, you're the first. You know how everybody wants to be the first one to do everything. Yeah. Because here's the thing, like Brad Stevens is going to be involved with the coach. He's not He's not going to be hands off. He's a coach. That's what he does. He's not a GM that doesn't know a lot about coaching except watching synergy clips like a lot of GMs and try to get involved with the fucking coach as far as what they're doing, what plays they're running, blah, blah, blah. This is a coach who's considered a top 10 coach in the league and, you know, is a very smart coach. So to hire a younger coach that he could develop hands-on especially if they have success it'll be better for him becky hammond i think that if there's a job out there for her right now could be boston but i think they'll they'll talk to chauncey billups they'll talk to i think jawan howard's a guy that will get some traction here i don't think jawan will take it he's got a great job in michigan but i think that they'll they'll try to go after him um i can't see like an assistant that hasn't had head coaching experience going there for that route but um, Terry Stotts is going to be a name that, that 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 they'll probably think about because, I mean, look, they're on the verge. They're not bad. They could still challenge for the East. They just got to get some things going and they got to get, they sort of got to change the way that things have been done as far as like, 
you know, players sort of accountability and, and, and just sort of getting, getting everybody focused at the task at hand. But, um, I mean, they've got talent. It's not like, it's not like Orlando where you got a bunch of young kids that haven't done anything. You know, you've, this is a team that have players that have playoff experience, been in the Eastern Conference finals, have a, you know, most of their roster is back. You know, it'll be interesting who they take, but don't be surprised, you know, if they go after a Becky Hammond for this. I'm not saying it's going to happen a thousand percent, but this, this might have, you know, her name on, at least be a finalist for the job and have a chance at it. But if the, she doesn't go that route, Terry starts to be a name. I, I just can't see Chauncey Billups being a name that they want to bring in because they're so close and he's got very little experience, you know, coaching. And I think they would want to bring in somebody that sort of had experience that could handle some of these things that, that they need to iron out. Yep. Yeah, it makes sense. And then just quickly on the Celtics, there's already rumblings about Kimba Walker being moved. Um, one of the most overpaid players in the NBA League sources expect the Celtics to explore moving him in a trade to help create some current and future salary flexibility. That was from um, Brian Robb at Booth Newspapers. So it's already already starting. They obviously obviously got to make some room salary cap wise, and I think I don't think Kemba's really worked out in Boston as they would have hoped. No, and they had to sign somebody. They lost Kyrie, and you know how it is. It's the thrill of the chase in free agency. You lose Kyrie. You have these players, and look, if Hayward doesn't get hurt you know, early in his career, Boston career, things could be a lot different there. But like Haywood gets hurt, that happened, the Kyrie deal, you know, they had to replace Kyrie and he was just floating around and, you know, he had the bad knee or what have you. Um, he hasn't been great. He, you know, he's had some injury setbacks. So yeah, like he he's definitely been somebody that they're, um, that they probably expected a little bit more out of. I mean, the guy's a good pro. He, he tries, averaged 19, 4, and 5 from them last year. But again, it's, it goes back to the Porzingis thing, folks. Like the guys get like 36 and 37 million left, I think, in his next two years. Like, I don't think there's a lot of teams like begging to take that back unless they're, you know, what I just don't know how they're going to get that done. And then, they are so far over the cap that it's not like they, I mean, it's not like they're going to just get off his money and someone's going to take him in their cap room and then they get that money to spend. They're going to have to take some things back. And I just don't know who's begging to get a Kemba Walker right now at his advanced age and sort of injury history to give them like great assets. The only way that they're going to make this thing work is if they move Jalen Brown and they get something back for Jalen Brown. They're not going to trade Tatum. You know, Kemba's got a lot of money. They're probably going to re-sign Fournier. You know, I, I don't know what he'll demand in free agency, 15, 18 million. But, like, I don't know what other moves they can make. Like, I don't know what GM's really, like, begging you to take, like, Robert Williams off your hands or Grant Williams off their hands. They don't really have a lot of assets that they can move. It'll be interesting. Marcus Smart, solid. Like, I, I like him. You know, they've got they've – got, They've got assets. It's just interesting what move they're going to try to make. Yeah, we'll watch that space. But, um, yeah, they, they definitely are close, but they're not. I think their bench needs to be restructured. So we'll, we'll watch how that goes in the offseason. And obviously the first stop for them is getting a head coach before you can make any trades or sign any free agents. You need you need a, a coach. So the next one that went down was, was Terry Stotts. So um, I think – I read his comments probably about three days ago. There were some comments he was asked about, you know, his coaching future. And I like to call these the kiss of death comments. 
when a head coach tells you that he's happy to be somewhere and he has two years left on his deal and everything's, you know, up to management, he's going to generally get fired. <laughs> he made those comments and was fired within two days. So he's gone. Um, we kind of called that that if they if they don't get past the second round or deeper, that they, they would move on from two stocks they have. So we got one right at least. And what was interesting about this was Dame Lillard, which you don't often see, has publicly commented on, on wanting Jason Kidd for that head coaching spot. So... Um, we don't often see superstar players, you know, put, put their their balls on the line publicly because they'll try to do it behind closed doors and not take any, um, you know, any issue with with being wrong or whatever. If you know the, the franchise goes a different direction, and and a lot of them don't like putting pressure on their on their franchise. But I kind of respect it. I mean, Dame Lillard is is their franchise guy, and he, he wants Jay Kidd. I mean, how do you how do you see all that unfolding, folks? If there's anybody that can name their fucking coach in this league. I think Dame Lillard has definitely earned it. Like, I mean, he's could have gone different places. You know, he's a loyal guy. The guy, just, the guy, sort of does it like the old school way. I sort of, I, I, I respect the fuck out of the guy, and he's done so much for Portland. You know, like he overachieved in, in the spot that he was drafted in. You know, he he sort of brought them to, to sort of you know very close in 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 past years. And I think that, like, he should have, like, m- when most players say, well, it, you know, they got to talk to me first, you know, I sort of, like, roll my eyes, like, oh, this bullshit. But, like, Damian Lillard's done a lot there. He stayed. You don't see a lot of players, like you said. It's usually, like, bullshit when they, like, sort of give coaches sort of, like, you know, like, their recommendation for a coach. It's sort of, like, or, or they're behind a coach. It's sort of, like, scripted or whatever. I think Damian Lillard, like, that's who he wants. I'm not saying just a guarantee to do it just based on his words. I think if he wants them and now you start hearing about all these other teams that want to trade for Dame Lillard now and things aren't going great and all that, I think that they'll – I think Jason Kidd will have a very good chance of getting that job. Why not? Like if 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 that's going to keep him there – now, look, we've seen this before. The best story I've ever seen about a, a player doing that, Lamar Odom. Uh, was at URI and a coach that coached you at Golden State, right? Jerry DiGregorio? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Jerry's like, Jerry's like Lamar Odom's prep school coach at some fucking school in like Connecticut, right? Or like in New York. I forgot what it was. It was just like literally the school was there for Lamar Odom, right? And that was it just to get him eligible. So he takes, well, he goes with Lamar and, and he goes to, you know, he goes to URI as an assistant um their coach they do well their coach leaves uh goes somewhere else to to you know i forgot where he went georgia or something and lamar odom goes if you hire jerry digorio i stay (laughs) they hire jerry digorio give him a contract and he was fucking gone 24 hours later he was fucking gone (laughs) so yeah like this shit happens right like like you know i'm staying you know yeah just hired my coach or this guy and I, they both got Oakland ties, right? With Dame Lillard yeah, from yeah, Oakland, yeah. correct? I think like, that's where it stems from. Yeah, yeah. Oakland thing, J Kid, ex player, played his position, you know, Hall of Famer, all that stuff. I could see that, and fuck, why not? If the guy's giving him, you know, I would definitely call him a finalist. I'd say about seventy five percent chance that you'll probably see J Kid there. W- what are your thoughts? Call me a conspiracy theory theorist, but the the trade rumblings for Dame coming at the same time that he's named his head coach, yeah, could be a play from the agent of, of Dame. Like, hey, hey, do, hey, get my guy the coach he wants. 
oh, he's going to start making some. Oh, I'm going to start making some noise. So it's just coincidental that the, the, the two rumors circulated within a day of each other. So take without that for fucking right. question, yeah, that, that's a game without for everyone listening. Question. That's the chess game for everyone listening. That most fans and most people would pass over their head. You got to read between the lines sometimes, and I'm, I'm reading that between the lines that that's a, an agent push publicly through his his cronies that he has media media friends that you know get my guy who he wants, and if you don't. We're going to be knocking on doors to get out of there. So, and I don't think Dame was the kind of guy that would say that publicly. I think he'd let that handle behind closed scenes. But you can guarantee there's some chess pieces being moved. And, and you know, Dame's not getting any younger. He's um, getting up there in age, and, and he's he's one of the best scorers in the NBA. And he's probably thinking like, "Where's my Steph Curry chance? You know, where's my chance to to compete in a conference finals or NBA finals to win a championship?" And it's probably weighing on him a little bit. And rightfully so, they they haven't really had an opportunity or a roster that has been you know championship contention since he's been there. So. One thing uh, around Terry Stotts, I caught this article on uh, on Hoops Hype. It was from it was this Jason Quick and Shams at the Athletic. The Blazers hoped to let the dust settle on this season before making a decision on Stotts, but Stotts and his agent wanted a quick resolution in the case they needed to explore other opportunities. So basically, reading between the lines, I think Terry Stotts has some other offers on the table. What's interesting is he has two years remaining on his deal. So for those listening, a lot of coaches out there will generally take a sabbatical for those two years or whatever, however many years they have on their contract. They'll go and do you know, coaching tours, visit diff- different friends in the NBA, they go to Europe, they go to Australia, whatever, because they'll get paid basically for, for doing that. If you get another job, the way they do it sometimes is they'll you can't double dip, but there's there has been tweaks to that now. But generally, historically, you can't. If you get another job, you know there's a there's a formula they figure out where you can't double dip from both teams. But what are the, the second part of this story? Stotts is believed to be a candidate in Indiana. In, in, in Indiana, should the paces make a change? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, you think the paces are making a change, bro? Yeah, that's like saying if I might eat pizza on Friday night. I mean, it's the same fucking thing. I mean, they're going to make the change. I definitely do believe they'll make a change. I think that one starts, look, they don't have to pay starts a lot of money, obviously, with the offset. So, literally, I, you know, understanding it the way I do, I think that with the offset, so if, say, he's getting $5 million a year at Portland and Indiana offers him a job for $5 million, that in uh, Portland owes him the $5 million, $5 million, because that was his original deal. Now, maybe that Indiana has to pay a partial with that. But if Indiana, say, wanted to pay him $7 million, that I think that Portland will kick in the first five and then they would have to handle the two. Yeah. Forgot how exactly sure that works. Right. Yeah. yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. I, I would think him and Steve Clifford would be to because they're not going to go with first year coach again. I think that they've done that and it didn't work. So I think they're going to hire more of a veteran. And I think the, you know, I think that Stotts, Clifford, you know, those two guys would be, you know, I think those those two guys would probably be, you know, A and B on their list of, of candidates. You better be careful, pro. You're going to be in a Mark Spears article. Um. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. Add, Van- add Vanderpool in there and you'll be okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, and Clifford, St- Steve Clifford obviously just got announced today. Um, as pro mentioned, Steve Clifford is gone from the Orlando Magic, and that's one that we discussed with our coaching, safe or not. He was one that we thought would probably move on because they're in a, a full-blown rebuild and they're going to you know, start building around Mo Bamba, pro. Yeah, no shit. Fucking Mo Bamba. Uh, kicking me in the ass again. <laughs> I-, I think that the Magic will probably hire an assistant this one. I think Jamal Mosley or, or Udoka, I think one of those two guys would be a great candidate for that uh, for that position. So I think, you know, Jamal Mosley is probably the assistant that's probably, if there's going to be an assistant, 
a head job in the league where they have a young team that needs just sort of a young coach to grow with the players. I think that Jamal Mosley would be, be right in there with it. I think that I think he'll have a great chance at that job. That's your Australian Boomers assistant coach, Jamal Mosley Pro. Oh, really? He's he's an assistant with Australia? Yes, he is. Yeah, he's um, come on with Brian Gorgian. So, Brian Gorgian, who's the head coach, once coached uh, the Victoria Titans when I was a child, um, a local ah, NBL team. Okay. And Jamal Mosley was the import at the time. So, that's where that relationship stemmed from. So, I kind of knew Jamal. Sweet. Jamal knew me when I was you know, 15, 16. But yeah, he's, he's now the assistant coach with uh, Brian Gorgian. So he definitely is in line as, as one of the prime candidates to get a mm-hmm. head coaching job in the NBA. And we hope, you know, we both work with him and I liked him a lot. I think he's a, a great dude. But one final thing I love with these coaching hirings and firings is the new wording around a pro. It's always a mutual decision. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Now it's all, everything's fucking mutual. <laughs> Every time I read it, it's like, why is it so frowned upon? Like, hey, you know, you, you didn't do well. We're moving on. Or, hey, I want to I move on. It's never mutual, people. Whenever you see a mutual decision, do some research um, and come to your own conclusions because it ever rarely is. Mutual basically means we show up at the boardroom at the same time and be like, I know what you're thinking. I should move on. Yep, you should fire me. All right, <laughs> great. See you later. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So, take that with a grain of salt. I mean, the only fucking way, the only reason why I would give a fuck about quitting versus getting fired is if they have money guaranteed on the table that you would do it but like some coaches and some people think it actually saves face by saying oh it's a mutual decision versus uh like that like the team would always say hey we got your back we'll just say it was mutual we didn't fire you now just say i fucking got fired like it's not a big deal like you know you're not fooling anyone you know what i'm saying <laughs> you're, not f- you're not fooling anybody it's like me it's like me coming on the sta- station it's like me and the, the mavericks were mutual you know mutual split no it doesn't happen that way i got fucking fired like it happens like you know somebody's gonna find out anyway so what you know it's not a big deal it's not a big deal to say hey you know what i fucking didn't stay i couldn't stand them i got fired or i quit whatever you know but like everybody wants to save their fucking reputation you know it's, it's this whole brand bullshit. You know what I'm saying, Bogues? Yeah, but what's it saving? Fuck that brand. It's like most cl- most teams know, right? you know, you, you got moved on from that club. Like, they'll call around and be like, why did you move that guy on? They'll do their homework and it is what yeah. it is. Like, it's not, you know, people look at failure as a bad thing. At times, it's not. You learn, you know, now if you're a coach, no. the second, third, fourth job, you keep getting fired, there's obviously an issue. Um, but, you know, you got to learn from it sometimes. And I think that's what, you know, people are scared to run from that by labeling it mutual decision, just a politically correct term. So nobody's offended, but that's that's where we are as society. LeBron James, the most shameless plug I've seen in a long time. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure if you saw the video, but for those that haven't, he has, uh, at the end of the Lakers Phoenix series, gave an interview about Somebody asked him about Tokyo's Olympic Games and he basically said he won't be playing and I think I'm going to play for the Tune squad this summer instead of the Olympics. So, a nice little Space Jam promotion when asked about the Olympics, but I guess the noteworthy part of this is he's he's out of the Olympics, bro, and I think I think a lot of players are going to follow suit. I don't, I don't think this is the first one and LeBron James is obviously the biggest name in basketball currently in the world. Uh, so, for him to pull out, it's a big, a big thing, but I think this is going to – this is not going to be the only guy. There's going to be a boatload of NBA players that just aren't going to want to play. Yeah, his first of all, his sense of humor is brutal. Like when he tries to like pull a joke, it just it doesn't. He, I don't know. He, he, he has a hard time capturing me sometimes. But this pandemic with the scheduling, you know, with the lack of rest these guys have and injury concerns, and then you know, it's it's rough on. I mean, you yeah, I'd like to hear your take with a non-pandemic year when you have to play 
like a long playoff push and then even a mid-level playoff push. And then you have to play in the Olympics when you had some rest and then Olympics and then go into your season because the Olympics probably runs what to like mid late, I mean, probably late September. And then you got to like training camp opens not so long after. Like, I don't blame like this way. I don't really blame them on the, these players on this time. I mean, you know, look, with all the bubble stuff, then they go into a season 70 days later and then, you know, and then they get the playoffs and then they get the bubble again. I mean, they get the, uh, you know, the Olympics again and then they get their season right around the corner after that. Like, I don't really blame them this time about Olympic stuff. Like, you know, but I mean, some people are crazy about their, you know, they love the, they love to represent their country with their, with their national team. I get it, but I don't really blame him for not doing it. I just think the joke was fucking brutal. Unless he got, unless he got another three million dollar bonus from from the fucking you know from the studio for mentioning the name in a you know in a in a press conference. But I don't know. I what do you think, folks? Because I know you love your you love playing for your national team. Oh, it's hard, man. And- I've been on record. Like sometimes, sometimes you're banged up. I've missed a few campaigns with injuries, um, and it takes a toll. People don't realize. Like we don't. We're a little different from Team USA. We, we don't get paid to play for our national team. So, you know, we're doing it basically at, at cost, um, get per diem, and, and that's kind of it. And, you know, we're trying to win a medal for our country. So it is hard. It takes a toll on your body. And then it's that that avalanche effect then of carrying a niggly injury, something that's bothering you that you don't rehab properly in the offseason because you're playing with the national team. Then you carry that on into your training camp. So, I've seen numerous guys, including myself, that have then got hurt early in an NBA year based on just just load, you know, just playing a lot of basketball and traveling to, you know, some some pretty remote places in the world for, for national team friendlies. And, you know, I can tell you about some of the places we've been on, on, on buses that basically, you know, wouldn't be compliant anywhere in the world, but the country we were in, you know, tires almost fallen off and... Um, being on planes, you know, there were, there were stories where Brian Gorgian early on in the boomers, his boomers tenure in the early 2000s, got on planes in China to go to remote destinations. They had chickens in the overhead, you know, so um, live chickens, yeah, live chickens. So, you know, that's that's what you have to deal with with international basketball at times, you know, and we're not we're not Team USA. We're not we're not traveling on a chartered plane and. You, and, and oh, you didn't stay in a cruise. You didn't stay on a fucking uh, on the love boat for fucking uh, <laughs> no. for the Olympic Village. No, unfortunately. So you know, it it does it does take its toll, man. Um, and even look, even if you're on a private jet, and, and it's still it's still extra miles on your body. Um, so it, it is a it is something that people generally I don't feel sorry for you about it, but the general public forget that you're you're playing for your national team generally for free most countries in the world, and, and it does take up your off season, your family time, and it is a big commitment that that should be kind of noted. Um, but. Yeah, I just think this Olympics is going to be. I think we're going to see a lot of guys pull out, especially with the the, the, the rules that they're announcing. Japan very very strict that they similar to probably the NBA protocol of two t- two tests a day. And you know there were stories. Our, our Olympic community put out something saying, you know, if you go to the dining hall, you're not allowed to talk. If you're eating with your teammates, <laughs> like what, what the fuck, man? Like seriously, you, you know, because because you could spread the virus while you're eating. Like I mean, if, if it's that serious, don't have the games. You know, like if you're really that that scared about about that, so it's not going to be an Olympics in the traditional form. I think there's a lot of things that are going to be taken away. A lot of a lot of great things that you get to experience in a general non-COVID year. So yeah, I'm just not sure. And and that and the fact that they've introduced a bunch of strange sports by 
Olympic definition, like breakdancing, and not taking anything away from breakdancers, but um, Olympic sport, uh, not sure. So they're trying to obviously link to the, the younger demographic and get some younger eyeballs because they know viewership's dwindling with every Olympics, but uh, it will be interesting. I mean, can they have cupcake eating for a fucking Olympic sport so I can get on that shit? Or well, there's the a hot fuck? dog eating. Look at that hot dog eating. That might get there one day. Uh, yeah, but you know, that Japanese yeah, dude, that I, little, I, that small, that small Japanese dude, he wins every time. It's like <laughs> that, that little prick. There's no fucking chance. I can't. I'm out of that shit. Pasta eating, I'm in, but fuck that shit. I'm out. All right, Dennis Schroeder. We discussed him not long ago. I think you said it was a good thing he opted out of his deal. Um, I think if I'm correct. A few, mm-hmm. a few podcasts yeah, I ago, I said he was an idiot. Magic Johnson just said, basically said he doesn't think he's a, a Laker or, or, or what the, being a Laker is about. Basically said that on public record. So, good luck to Dennis Schroeder getting a deal from them. But here's Magic's comments. I don't think he brings that winning mentality and attitude that we need. He had a chance to show that in this series. And to me, he failed in this series. Um, it's just my opinion. I don't know if they're going to sign him back or not. Well, you know, Magic has a lot of weight in LA, so I'd assume they're not going to sign him back. I know Palinka still rates him pretty highly, Magic that is, and, and gets advice from him, you know, to this day. But my whole thing, Pro still is, I know you disagree with it, but I just don't know how he turned that money down. You know, you're, you're living in LA, playing with the Lakers. All I can think of is he has a, a silent agreement with someone or someone's told him, hey, don't take that deal and we'll we'll give you away more. But I wonder if those same people watch that playoff series, bro. Yeah. And I, he didn't have a great playoff, no doubt. But you know, fucking magic. Like he's like me picking games with what he fucking says. Like you should like follow what he says. Like I remember, I didn't mind magic. I loved him as a player. And I, I sort of like hearing him talk and talk about things. But like, I remember like when D'Antoni was a coach, he's tweeting out fire D'Antoni. Like what the fuck, what are you doing? Like you know, you're fucking with people's livelihoods, you know? And then he's like the shit he pulled about quitting fucking like, through the midway through the season or whatever, whenever he quit with the Lakers when he was sort of in the front office with Palenka. Look, Schroeder isn't great, right? He's not, he's not a prototypical 80s Laker player without question. He's got a little edge to him. Not the greatest teammate in the world, I get it. But he's a pretty good player. Now, when he opts out of the contract, not 100% positive on this, but they have his bird rights, I believe. So he could re-sign with the Lakers. But it's just like... He was, he was just getting out of his one-year option, but they could still sign him. And I believe they still have his bird rights to do so. I may, I maybe, may not be, I may not be correct on this, but I'm almost positive. The Lakers are fucked. The way they're constructed, they're completely fucked because they got LeBron and Anthony, they got LeBron and AD, right? Like, so LeBron's making next year 41 million. Anthony Davis makes 35 million. And then the rest of the team, they got a bunch of free agents because they got a bunch, you know, a bunch of guys that are that that are sort of on, on minimum deals and things. But to construct a roster, because of like they're so heavily dependent on the, the financially and talent-wise with LeBron and AD, they don't have that third guy or fourth guy. Kuzma's been inconsistent. You know, Gasol just sort of doesn't have much left. Schroeder at times plays well, but whatever. Like, but they, they're they're over the cap. You know, they they're, they're going to have to do some things, so they're going to be over the cap. So they're not they don't have all this money to bring in another free agent. The only thing they could really do is trade Anthony Davis if they wanted to, which obviously they're not. Like, there's not a lot of movement that they can make to like create this room or get these assets. If you're going to trade Kuzma, he's at 13 million a year for the next three years, right? Like, 
I don't know what you're going to get back for Kuzma. Like there's not this deal or this free agent pickup that they can make that's going to make this team a lot better. And with Davis's injury history, it's going to be tough. Look, they did what they did and they got, got to a championship. Let's not forget that they won a championship, but they got rid of some guys like, you know, they got rid of um, Zubac. They, they gave Zubac away in a deal to the Clippers. Like, that's an extra guy that they had. They didn't have to re-sign. They didn't have to get out and get Drummond. Zubac is a much better player than Drummond is. You're like, there's some moves they could have made, but they won a championship. They rested on that. But now with those two guys making that much money, and they don't really have that other guy. Like, we talk about Golden State all the time, sort of what are they going to do? But, like, at least with their team, even though I don't really like Wiggins, you got Tom, you know, get you got Curry, Clay, and you got Wiggins as that third guy, and you got Wiseman, who's a young, pretty good player. So they've got multiple guys that they can sort of go to to carry the team a little bit. Where the Lakers passed those two guys, LeBron's LeBron's a great player, but he's getting up there in age. He's less and like getting less and less a little bit effective. Of course, he's still the best player in the league, or you know, right now. But I'm saying like. There's not a lot of upside to them. They gave all their he's assets away. At the end of the day, he's getting yeah. old. Like, it's age is no, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not defeating age. It's undefeated. And then, you know, Davis's yeah. injury history as well. You, you, you know, what, what do they do? They're, they're in a tough spot. There's really, like, all their players, all their draft picks went went into the Davis trade. So, I don't know what they do. You know, Ron, losing R- Rondo and Howard was a huge loss to them because of the money they made versus their production. And you take that off their second unit, and they were a lot less – they're just sort of less relevant as a team. And now, like, that second unit's affected, and they, they don't just – they just don't have that third guy to go to, that playmaker that, you know, Kuzma's going to have to really do some stuff in the offseason, I think, to really help that team because, again, they don't really have a lot of options. Yeah, he's a third option. No. I, I'm hearing yeah, Caruso, so- twos. Priming for a pretty big deal in the offseason. I think there's a few few teams that have, a few people that have told me there are a few teams eyeing him for a pretty pretty substantial upgrade um, financially. So they'll probably lose him. I think he's a big glue guy for them off the bench as well. So you know they lose him. I think that that hurts their bench mob, which is already yeah. pretty thin as it is. Um, <laughs> they're going to have to. They're probably going to have to try to get some sweetheart deals from some veterans in the offseason. And the other option is they can just wait for for Bronny James to graduate high school and, and join the Lakers, that's probably the, the, the last thing they probably need to do. Man, like, yeah. I mean, they're going to have to go deep into the tax and re-sign players that are just okay. Like Drummond, you're going to re-sign Drummond. You're going to try to re-sign Schroeder. But, like, you're you're going basically with the same crew. You know, you're going to have the mini mid-level, you know, the taxpayer mid-level probably uh, to spend. Maybe they'll have the full mid-level. I'm not sure. But, like, they just there's really not that player out there that's going to save them, and all these teams in the West are getting better. Like Dallas, to me, Dallas, regardless of what happens tomorrow, Dallas is is on not on easy street, but they're they're going to be a top four team next year. So you're going to have to deal with them. You know, Memphis is sort of knocking at your door. Utah's very good. Phoenix, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Phoenix. Yeah, Denver. Yeah, Denver, like. Like, look, with those two guys healthy and rolling all year, great. But, like, with James's age and Davis's injury history, it's going to be hard to get those two guys healthy, you know, and expect those guys to be healthy throughout a whole season and all playoff campaign. 
you know, you're going to probably have to reshape play, you know, um, you know, what do they call that with player rest? <laughs> load management. Load management. They're going to have to get like really load management. Yeah, but they can't afford to do so, it. They won't get enough wins to, to even be in a – if they load, no, load manage, no, they, they look terrible without yeah. LeBron and um, Davis on the floor. And they're just – you know, then you're relying on Kuzma to drop 30 a night. It's just just not going to be – not going to happen. But I, I don't feel bad for them. I love, I love seeing the Lakers in these situations just because they're the big dog always and they're always – the big market, big dog, the name in lights, so they deserve a little bit of, of down years. Final one, the quick NBA news. Some New Orleans players, check the wording of this though, via Bleacher Report, some New Orleans players were not vibing with Coach during <laughs> oh, their 31-41 and 41 season. So uh, this is Stan Van Gundy, of course, and we called this months ago, um, but – I, I just don't think he survives off season, in my opinion. Nah, if they start, first of all, is there a fucking worse word than vibing? Yeah. Is there a fucking worse word? Vibes, vibing, summer vibes. That's an agent. That's a hundred percent an agent that's given that to the Bleach Report. Yeah, <laughs> some lawyer without question. It's a lawyer agent. So some nerdy white lawyer has probably given that wording to an to, to, to the Bleach Report. I'd, I'd guess. I'll tell you what, coaching in the NBA today, like I told you, it's almost irrelevant. In, in some cases, you know, you, the, the coach has very little control, especially if you have a franchise player that you have to keep happy in free agency, especially if there's a point guard. He just sort of runs the show. You know, like these players run the show. And you have to do everything in your power to keep them sort of at bay, happy, motivated, and, you know, believing in you as a coach. That's a fucking juggling act on top of a juggling act that, you know, you saw it 20 years ago where the coaches had most of the power, you know, and, and some of the big time players have it. Look, we talk about player empowerment, right? I don't mind if the top five players in the league, top 10 players in the league have player empowerment and you have to tiptoe around them. They, they deserve it. They're the best players in the league. But when you got to do that shit for the fucking 99th best player in the league, it's got to be a fucking tough hassle. And if you don't change, like most of these guys who get fired in the NBA, some get fired because they just didn't win and it wasn't really anything about them. But some like wear you the fuck out as a person, you know, wear players out and they don't figure it out after they got fired and they were off for nine months that maybe I should work on this and maybe I should change. Now, I don't know what, why they're not getting along with Van Gundy. It's probably that he's a little rigid, practice hard, you know, doesn't relate to players. I don't know. But when you get fired, you got to figure out, have somebody who tells you the fucking truth of why you got fired, if it wasn't just wins and losses or whatever, and fix that fucking problem. Because especially in today's player, they're very sensitive. They don't, they're not, they don't fear anybody. They don't, you don't care if they're a, a fucking two-way player or a franchise player. They're going to fucking like, you're going to have the same problems. And yeah, you're going to find yourself in these articles where they say they're not fucking vibing with you and you're going to see yourself out. It's just, it's a rough deal. What do you think on it, folks? Oh, just, just interesting. I mean, I, I don't think he's coached particularly well the last season. I, I think um, some of those lineups were interesting, the rotations, even their defensive principles early in the season of packing the paint and <laughs> like contesting threes yeah. early on. It just it just goes it just contradicts the way the game. It's opposite of what what we're teaching today. You know, we always get in the debate about hoisting up too many threes, and 
that's neither here or there, but you have to understand that the threes are a big part of the game and, you know, you can't be packing the paint and doing what they've been doing. And he adjusted a little bit along the way, but I know, you know, there are some players on that squad that aren't aren't too happy with with the direction of things. So it'll be it'll be just interesting to see if they if they make that move. Because it's, it's I think they're in that situation where the elephant's sitting in the room. And it's like, do we call the zookeeper to get him out of the room, or do we just let him sit here for a little bit more? It's a, you're eventually gonna, they're eventually gonna have to do it. <laughs> so it's like the actual politically correct way is zoo uh, professional. That's what they want you to call it, folks. Just so you know, that's the pronoun for it. The zoo professional. Zookeeper's offensive now, is it? Yes, yes. Why? Yes. What's what's why? It? Why is any word of it? You know, they just need a. They don't need a reason. <laughs> no, none reason. Ah, Jesus. Yeah. Zoo professional. I, I, I looked it up. Oh, wow. Well, because so, in Australia, the, the payments from the government for coronavirus are called JobKeeper. So, they might want to re, uh, reword that then because- Job professional. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait till the- I just want to get a dictionary from the 1980s and compare it to today. It'd be absolutely hilarious because I know I know words are being deleted as well. There are, there are words out there that have been deleted Oof. and there's a shitload being added. So, it'd be, it'd be someone, someone out there. It'd be a pretty fun study taking a shitload of time, but there'd be so many words- <laughs> Just, that have just disappeared yeah. quietly. <laughs> Stick that vibe up your ass. Yeah. All right, real quick on Overtime Elite. We've talked about that numerous times. They've signed two twins again, two more twins. So that must be in their um, operating manual. But Amen Thompson and Asa Thompson, A-U-S-A-R. I pronounced that right, but never heard that name before. Two of the country's top-rated guards have signed with the league and will be part of its inaugural season. Um, brothers didn't comment. And then also, Fran Fischilla has announced um, Elite has signed its first international player, Gene Montero from the Dominican Republic. He's touted to be a first-round NBA draft pick. So, they're, they're moving and shaking. Um, they've, they've, what do they have now? At least enough to, make, to, to have one team. So, <laughs> they need to get roaring a little bit yeah. more. But um, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. We won't discuss that too much. We'll just continue to hopefully let you know if there's any other big names that, that join. The last thing we'll talk about before I get to the NBL J. Cole, um, I'm not really familiar with J. Cole and, and what he does or who he is, and um, but he's pretty big in, in the world, I understand, but he's playing in the Basketball African League, bro, um, signed over there, and uh, a, a player there anonymously came out and was like, for a guy who has so much money, has another career to just come here and average like one point a game and still get glorified, he's very disrespectful to the game and the league. So he has got a lot of notoriety. It's been pretty big news. Not the best player in the league by far. Uh, probably, you know, one point a game is not too, not too good, but just interesting because, you know, your average player that is doing this for a living is obviously not too happy with good old J. Cole. Yeah, so he was only going to do a small stint in the league. He's already gone, actually. And I think he had something with like a family obligation or something like that. So, he, he's gone. Yeah, he was going to disappear because half the league wanted him dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, like I met him a few times. Like he was close to Dennis Smith Jr. when, when I was in Dallas. Good dude, respectful, not like – you know, like just sort of respectful. I know he works out a lot. You see him working out with trainers and stuff like that all over Instagram. The problem here, Bogues, with this stuff is like, I, I understand that like publicity wise, it's great to have a guy like that playing in your league. Yeah. You know, everybody knows him, big rap artist, um, very popular uh, amongst people, you know, who listen to that uh, genre of music. But like, the problem is he's like 36. And he takes it serious, works out, does all that stuff, but like he's he's not really a prospect. 
and you're trying to start this developmental league in Africa where you have all these young players, you know, all over the league that are trying, you know, all over the country, all over the continent, all over the world that are trying to, you know, play in the league and, and, and try to get their opportunity. I could see why the guy was pissed. Now, the guy that was pissed and called him out uh, started two fucking bench clearing brawls in other places that he was at <laughs> years before. So he's he doesn't he's not exactly he's not exactly fucking Kawhi Leonard of professionalism. So uh, like you know it's like me calling you out for overeating uh, on on your dinner tonight. Mm. Like the guy that did call him out, but like where are you going as a league though? In my opinion, like like I think if you're trying to start a professional league and you're trying to be serious about it. You want younger players that have a chance to play somewhere in the world. It doesn't have to be in the NBA, but once you start, like if you're going to bring it over somebody like 36, 37 years old, sign like Jared Jack or sign someone like that. It's a publicity like, stunt, obviously. And I think that's, that's, yeah. I think it does the opposite for your league, bro. I think, you know, like, we like the NBL, yeah. the NBL, you know, signing Eminem, you know, for a month, you know. Could, could come and do a concert pregame and then playing some games. <laughs> like, think it yeah, it just—it's great for marketing. It's great for eyeballs. Yeah, but like, you're making the league look like a circus, you know. So I, I agree. I, I think you know it's up to him to do it. They let him do it. It's not his problem. But the league itself needs to look at itself. Like, are you a basketball league or or a circus? You, you, you can't be both. And I think it looks bad on on all the players involved. Yeah, and the NBA has such a like public relations like they're. A- train with that stuff they're they're a well-oiled machine like they can get the word out on that league and, and cover it and give it its due but just having somebody who's who's never played basketball at a professional level before at the age of like 36 it's tough man like they i remember they had that with master p great fucking story so they had that master you remember master p was a rapper in the 90s you know and like he he made it through training camp and uh the toronto raptors almost made the team so Master P, how about this, folks? You like this story. My, uh, at the Jordan camp, I talk about that a lot where like, you know, it's this ritzy camp where, where, you know, all these kids from all over the world go to the camp to get MJ's autograph. So, But they had all these college counselors that will be first round picks and NBA players will play at night. So Master P's kid, who was a rapper as well, is playing at the camp. Master P come, you know, in like three people at Nike I was coaching one team. My friend Seb was coaching another. And they come up to us and they go, by no circumstances are you to put Master P in a game. All right? And Master P's big thing was, I'll make him go, uh. That's like his like trademark word. Like that's that's his catchphrase, <laughs> right? So yeah. like, of course, like game nine where like people are starting to leave a little bit. They said, Mike, by no circumstances, this guy to come in the game. He comes up to me and he goes, coach, coach, put me in. I'll make him go, uh. <laughs> Folks, I almost fucking cried in his face. I was laughing so hard, but I didn't. I kept it. I said, master, because that was his first name. I didn't have no fucking idea what his first name was. I said, master, all due respect. We got to sit this one out, brother. All right. We got to sit this one out, master. I apologize. And he was a good dude about it, but it was so fucking funny when he was like, I'll make him go, uh, and I'm like, why fucking me? And I start laughing. But yeah, I mean, look, that's like people who want publicity and like J. Cole's like got one of the biggest followings in rap and, and I get it. But like when you're a professional league and you're trying to like, you gotta, you got to keep it at a level. You know what I'm saying? 
And and I just think, like, I get it. I get why they did it, but I, I think that it's the wrong message you're trying to send, especially to those other players that are trying to get time. Maybe it's some poor prick that needed that, those 12, 15 minutes a night to try to sign in Germany next year exactly. or Portugal or, or yeah. signing bonus or, you know, to show that they can play for the next season. Yeah, it's just not good. It's a circus. But that's where the world is going. NBL, real quick, I'm just going to go through my tips for award winners, which will probably all be wrong. Uh, the season is is pretty much wrapping up. There's w- one or two games left. Um, one of them matters, but it needs to be a a pretty big swing, which I don't think will happen. So um, the top four, as it stands right now, you've got Melbourne at one. You've got Perth, Southeast Melbourne, Fe- or Illawarra and Southeast Melbourne, Phoenix are, are still tying for three and four, depending on results. But they that's pretty much set. The Kings um, have a chance if Southeast Melbourne lose by 80. <laughs> or something along those <laughs> sorry Brisbane do actually if they lose by 80 so it's not going to happen so the, the top four is pretty much set Kings missed out by one game my MVP pick I have Bryce Cotton as the MVP even though he got injured my runner up is Nathan Sobey I think he had a fantastic year Pro, I don't know if you know but Bryce Cotton's out for the year so really hurts Perth's chances I, I don't think they'll do much in the finals without Bryce so um, he's, he's out he's, he's done some damage to his quad coach of the year I've got Brian Gorgian uh, with the runner up Simon Mitchell, Brian Gorgian, obviously taking over the Illawarra Hawks, getting them from last place to a finals berth. Pretty good turnaround in one year. Simon Mitchell did a pretty good job with getting Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, who are a new new franchise, only been in the league a couple of years, to their first um, final series. Most improved player, uh, Froling at um, the Illawarra Hawks. I think he had a fantastic year under Brian Gorgian. And then Hunter at the Sydney Kings, who was my former teammate, my backup last season. He's had a, a really good... Really good years. Arrow really went up. Sixth man of the year, I have Scotty Hobson with Melbourne United. There weren't really any other candidates. Now, Scotty Hobson, who you'd be, you'd be familiar with, played in the league for a while. He's not mm-hmm. really a sixth man. He's a starting caliber player, but their roster's, you know, they've just spent a shitload of money on their roster and they have the luxury of bringing him off the bench and, and he's had, had a fantastic year and no one's numbers are close to his. My championship pick is Melbourne United. I don't see them losing. I think they're too stacked, too many, uh, too much talent, great mix of offense and defense, and I think they'll be holding the trophy at the end of the season. So that's the NBL wrap. Um, look forward to seeing how that all goes. Stats, Pro, we've got a few. One you sent me, per, per Elias Sports, there has only been one starting lineup in the last 40 postseasons taller than the Dallas Mavericks were the other night. 2003 Mavs lineup. Check this lineup out. I think I remember this lineup. Sean Bradley, 7-6. Ralph LaFrance, 7-1. Dirk Nowitzki, 7-foot. <laughs> Michael Finley and Steve Nash. Can you imagine that in today's game, Pro? Unbelievable. Yeah, you'd, you'd be fired and you could never work again <laughs> if you had a lineup like that. Um, the GM and the coach. But yeah, I mean, that's crazy. I mean- Hey, look, that's a legit stat, right? I mean, it's the tallest, you know, tallest lineup in 40 pro seasons. So, yeah, they, they did put a big fucking lineup in with, with, with Boban and Porzingis. They had what? Boban, Powell, and Porzingis in the, in the game, maybe? Or am I fucking that up? No, I think it was Hardaway. Well, it helps when Porzingis and Boban are, you know, Boban's seven, four, seven, five, isn't he? Um, and then you got yeah. pausing a seven one seven two, so that's half your lineup right there. But yeah, the Mavs, the Mavs one, the, the, the old school Mavs one, was interesting because you could do it because Lafrance and Nowitzki both shot three, so kind yeah. of still somewhat spaced the floor. But defensively, would be 
That would be just a train oh, wreck. Nightmare. <laughs> Fucking nightmare. I think, I think that was I'll their tell zone. You what. that was their zone. That was their zone era too, though, I think. Yeah. They played a shitload yeah. of zone back then. Yeah. That Boban boy, like going back to him. I'll tell you what, like people want to laugh, this and that. That guy is, first of all, ready to play like they could sit him 20 straight games and he's ready to go, which is fucking unbelievable. No one says a bad word about the guy. And every time he plays, he's fucking productive. It, it's, you know, people think it's like a- Yeah, while smiling. Yeah, while smiling. Like, ta- like, like when they put Taco Fall in with the Celtics, like, look, I don't want us to say that any pro, pro player, NBA player is a joke or whatever. But like, people like laugh at him. And I get it. Like, you know, because he had no success. Boban- actually could get into a game offensively and defensively and fuck your game up in a good way for a team. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a, yeah, and it was interesting. What he's a big human he's being. He's a big human and being. He's a great touch. But I think, yeah, the Clippers figured it out though. Like, you know, he's not a shot blocker. He, he, he clogs the paint up, but he's not a shot blocker. Get him to move. The more he moves, especially like up and down, he'll get tired a little yeah. bit. And then you could get to the basket with Porzingis. All you got to do when he's in pick and roll is fucking, you know, just give him a little bit of a body shove or a little uh, fucking, you know, a little shoulder or whatever. And he's going to, you know, he'll budge. But um, yeah, it, it was cool seeing that lineup though. Yeah. For sure. The next one we discussed, the Dallas LA Clippers series, the first playoff series in the seven game era where all home teams have lost every game. So I had to go back. I found a five game series in 1984 pro back when the first round mm-hmm. was, was, uh, five games. Three out of five. Eastern yep. Conference, New Jersey versus Philly. 1984, New Jersey won three, two with a road team won every game. So that was a five game series. So it has been done in a five gamer, but a seven gamer. We'll see if history can be made. Um, that's that will. I, if uh, the Clippers lose tomorrow, that's that will never be repeated, in my opinion. You, I don't think you'll ever see a seven-game series <laughs> home team lose every game no. again. So it's a pretty cool stat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's 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 been cool to watch. It's been weird to watch, but it's been cool. But like, I don't know. It's yeah. It's you can't explain it. And if I'm a gambler on that fucking series, no, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm just. Bro, jump off a fucking bridge because <laughs> there's no fucking way. I mean, like, if you're a, you get out of the business, do something else because I'll tell you what, that, that will put you out of the business quick betting on that series because you have no idea who's going to show up when, when. Yeah. You know, no, it's, it's nuts. It's, it's tough. And NBA is tough to bet on in general, but um, that series, you pull your hair out. The last one, look, I know we give LeBron James a lot of shit, mainly for his off-court escapades, but I think this was a good stat. Um, LeBron James has been eliminated, eliminated in the first round of the playoffs for the first time in his 15-year playoff career. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive, especially in those like those Cleveland teams that he had because the Miami and the LA and, and, and when he went back to Cleveland, they were sort of stacked in his favor where, you know, people don't understand how bad those fucking teams where he, he wilted to the finals were with like, I'm well, not Spurs saying they weren't. Year, right? The Spurs year, yeah. Yeah. Well, they like, swept, yeah. They, he never had a number two. Like he never had a, a, a pure number two on his team until, you know, until he went Larry to Miami. Hughes, maybe? Was it Larry Hughes? Who was that? Larry-, Larry Hughes was probably the best player. He had Shaq on the way down. He had a Gauskas. He Drew had. Gooden, yeah, but I'm talking about, yeah. Drew Gooden. That first run where they went to the finals and played, uh, they got swept by the Spurs 4-0. I think his number two yeah, was I, Larry Hughes, I think. Oh, Dante West was there. Yeah. Yeah, I love Larry Hughes. Don't get me wrong. It's just as far as a number two, like Larry was a prototypical, like third best player in a team, but he never really had a true number two. And I, I was texting with somebody. I don't even know if it, it might have been our group chat where I said, 
without Anthony Davis, when he what what he was trying to do in that Phoenix series without Davis, it looked a lot like the shit he was trying to pull in Cleveland by literally wilting a team by almost by himself. But you know, it, he just did just didn't have the talent. But that's a pretty cool stat though to be able to get out of the first round because look, there's a lot of look at Dallas. Like Dallas, if they lose tomorrow, it's ten years about not getting out of the first round, and they're a championship. You know, their championship team in 11 with a coach that's going to be in the Hall of Fame, like, you know, it's um, and you can't get out of the first round in 10 years. It's that's a tough it's a tough deal, especially, you know, especially if if you're in the West now, he's in the East a little different. But still, like getting out of the first round consistently like that, it's pretty, pretty impressive to make it that, you know, almost to that effect is, is pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. I like that. I like I think most of the stats are pretty good. Let's go fact and fake news. What do you have? Folks, shocker. I'm going to be self-deprecating today. Um, the boomers will have pro name their squad so they can pick the opposite and win the gold medal. It better <laughs> be a fucking fact. But what do you what do you say? Yeah, it's fact. It's fact. Nice. Well, you picked your squad. I mean, you're on Jock Landale's hit list. Um, but yeah, you picked your squad. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, they, they – uh, you know they they have they have an interesting off season coming up and prep and short turnaround and as we know it'll be interesting to see if Ben Simmons puts his hand up so looking forward to it yeah it'll be it'll be pretty cool fuck I hope it's fact I'd love to do that just just pick the opposite man I'll tell you what though what what can I do with Lawndale to get him back on his good graces is there anything you know the fucking guy obviously I don't but like what can I do to get back in the sort of his good graces where he's not gonna try to pick me off at some point in his life nah he's all right he's all right. He'll uh, he'll be fine. He's a big boy. He's a country boy, so he's you know grew up on a farm and stuff. He's uh, he loves having a little bit. Uh, he loves bantering back and forth. So I think just keep giving him more shit. We'll uh, we'll do wonders. Sweet. Hey, are we gonna get on? By the way, are we gonna get on fucking Ingles? I just read that that Ingles got a fucking podcast. Yeah, not doing it much lately, but yeah, he does. He does. Bro, what the fuck? Like, come on, can we, can't we get in? Yeah, we can get we're, in. We're one of his Has biggest he responded supporters. Responded to your DM yet? You know what happened? I think I tried to group him and you into the DM on the. I know nothing about social media, obviously. It wasn't me because I didn't get it. I probably added the wrong. No, <laughs> the wrong answer. No, 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 no. It says that you can't be added. So I don't know what the fuck I'm doing on my fucking, you know, on my fucking sidekick from 2002. But um, I think that was it. Because when I te- when I hit uh, when I hit Ingles the other day, he hit me right back, and we we're going back and forth, but. The fucker's got a podcast, and he was busting my balls about how he's not invited to ours or yours. How about the fuck we get invited to his? I don't think his is a basketball one, pro. I think it's more like a general life podcast kind of thing. So, oh, forget it. Hey, hey, he doesn't want us then. Fuck that. I, I take that back. <laughs> you can do diet advice, and I can do social media advice. There, there you go. Fuck. All right, I take that back. All right, both Jason Kidd and Chauncey Billups will be head coaches next season. I got fake news on this one. I don't think Chauncey will be there yet. As you said earlier, I think the inexperience, I think, is the one that gets him. I think he you know, almost needs to join a bench or do something um, just to get his foot in the door. I think he's very, very high IQ, but I think there's there's there are some reservations um, of hiring guys out of a commentary booth for obvious reasons, bro. Something that I've- uh, mm-hmm. I've lived in real life, um, and I think that's no that's, doubt. that's a concern. Now, look, could a small market just take a flyer, Indiana, someone like that, and just say, you know what, let's just let's just take a risk, maybe, but not both of them. I think Jason Kidd gets a job gets a job for sure off that Lakers bench. Um, Chauncey probably a, probably two or three years. So I'll say fake news. 
Yeah, I'd say fake news, but here's what I do predict. And of course, it's not going to happen because I'm fucking awful at it. But I will predict this. Remember, he did say no to the Cleveland uh, GM job a couple yeah, of years ago. Yeah, he yeah, said yeah. no to it when they yeah. offered because it wasn't big enough for him, whatever, yeah, or yeah. Enough, not enough money or it wasn't big enough for him. I bet that the Orlando Magic will have him either as a finalist or like in the final four of candidates after the first round. They will interview him. He'll get a ton of interviews this year, guaranteed. Final but, four for Orlando? No, Fuck, they might not even get four candidates interviewing, bro. Mickey Mouse for sure would. <laughs> I, I'd work there in a heartbeat. Brooke Lopez I, I'm not will. Really Brooke like, Lopez will interview. And yeah. Brooke and Robin Lopez, because it's close to Disneyland, they'll, they'll definitely interview. Dude, those two fuckers are the best. Because A, every time I went to, because I go to Disney World, when I was in the league, we, we went every All-Star break. And I would see those two fuckers every year on, <laughs> uh, like, somewhere. And every time in, like, layup lines and shit, I'd be talking about favorite rides and shit like that. But here I am, and I'm in fucking, um, where were we? Epcot Center. And we were in, like, the United States Pavilion. And these two fuckers are in the corner just sitting, chilling with, like, 15 people. I love those two. But anyway, I bet that he drops out. Either they offer him the job and he drops it, or drops out because he wants a bigger job, or he just drops out because, you know, he wants to hold out for a, big, a better job. Keep holding on. Biggest can't be choosers, man. You can't, you can't, you know, they, I, I don't think he gets a big franchise job. Like, I mean, a Boston or LA, I, I think he's got to go the small market route first. I really wouldn't. Yeah, I really wouldn't. I, yeah, like I'm with you, like the experience would be big. But for him, I think that like taking over a team like that, seeing that you can do the job and then trying to move from there is a lot better. Because look, folks, in my opinion, like what happens if he says no, say the Clippers lose in the second round this year, Kawhi leaves or somebody packs up and goes and then the Clippers aren't what they used to be. They're not winning champion, you know, they don't get to the championship or whatever. And like, he's not sort of, you know, he's sort of not like in the forefront. Cause I think that the idea of taking the Clippers assistant job is they win a championship. And you know how that is. If you win a championship, you're not getting the head coach, but you're starting to get the assistance for other teams. You saw that happen with Indiana. So, but what happens if he says no to Orlando and then the Clippers just sort of stalemate? And they just okay, you know, second round out, second round out, third, oh, second round out, whatever. Like that might hurt them. There's only thirty of these jobs, and I think assistants can attest to this. Like, you know, sometimes you're hot, and and people think you're gonna get jobs, and then like all this stuff happens where the wrong guy gets fired. He's got more experience than you, and then and then they get jobs over you. You thought you're gonna get it this year, and then the team that you're coaching with goes in the shitter. And, and then, like, you're not that hot name anymore. And then all these other people get hired over you. And then I think Chauncey's almost already there. I think Chauncey's window, yeah. he had a huge window, like you said, when he turned, you know, when he thought he was too good for certain jobs. Like, he's. Yeah, there's only 30 of these fucking jobs. I think it's tough. So you're f- fake news then? Yeah, fake news. Yeah. Long story short. <laughs> Sto- short story. Short story long. Third question Joel Embiid's injury will cost us six as a chance at a title run. I think fact. I think he, you know, he needs to be beyond a hundred percent healthy for them to have any chance. Like if he's if he has to be nursed to get through this next series and then the series after, if they get that far, and he's limping into a finals, even if they get there, I mean, they need him at MVP caliber, Joel Embiid to have to have a chance to even get there. You know, they're not a they're not the favorite to come out of the East, even though they're the one seed. Um, Brooklyn obviously is, and um, yeah, I mean they they need him. They need him healthy. 
mentally, physically feeling good um, and get back to those MVP numbers in the regular season to have any chance to to continue to, you know, progress in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. It's fact. Look, the NBA, especially when you get to the playoffs, and that's why I said coaching is almost irrelevant because it's talent. It, it, this ain't the movie Hoosiers where you could be like the last seeded fucking team and then get to the finals, the state championship in Indiana anymore. Like, you need talent in the NBA. And especially when you're getting late rounds in the playoffs, if you're like, hey, look, if uh, no offense, but maybe if even Harris went out, like you might have a chance, right? Still for them. But if either Simmons or Embiid gets hurt, especially Embiid because of his offensive firepower, like that's a huge loss. And you saw it in the Lakers series, like, I think everybody had the Lakers winning if those two guys were healthy, especially when they were rolling, when CP, when Chris Paul hurt his shoulder, like no one was picking the Phoenix Suns, nobody. And then Davis goes out and you just can't, you can't replace that firepower. And without, with Embiid out, yeah, I, I think it's fact. I think they have very little to no chance. If, if he can't go, I, I, I don't see them. I, I see them maybe getting past this round, but I think they're, they, they won't get past the conference final. Yeah, and you can, you can tread water with a star down. All good teams can. We did it with um, in 2016 when we went to the finals. We played Portland. Steph did his uh, – I think it was his knee against uh, – was it Houston the series before in the first round? And we played Portland and, and still, you know, got them out of there. I think they got one game out of us. Um, and then Steph came back for game five. So, you can you can sustain it for short periods. You can sustain not having a Joel Embiid for two or three games in a playoff series or maybe four. But the closer it gets to the finals um, and the deeper you get to do it for eight, nine, 10, 11 games, um, you know, that, 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 that will eventually get found out. So, they, they need Joel healthy and I, ho- I hope he is because I think I think it'd be a great series to see if they get through this round, whoever they play, most likely Brooklyn. I think it'd be a good series of three perimeter talents versus a, a you know, potential Hall of Fame interior talent. I'd love to see that. But Q&As, uh, we didn't get to these last week because Sherwood Strauss was just, you know, giving us quote after quote yeah. and Pro was hanging shit on him and we uh, we got lost in the shuffle there. But a few good ones this week, Pro. Yeah, what do you got? Yeah, Strauss thought he was getting paid by the hour last week, by the way. We, <laughs> no one fucking told him. <laughs> But go ahead. Yeah, it's like when you get a one-hour massage and it goes for three hours and they're like, oh, but you take it anyway. Yeah. Hi, Andrew and Pro. I've been loving the podcast. Haven't missed an episode yet. Also, a huge Nick supporter. Well, I'm lucky for you because they're gone. Chuck Desicki <laughs> to watch game two. So, the guy took a sick day. Chuck Desicki is a sick day pro. My question, nice. watching live NBA games is great but also frustrating. I've had my missus get pissed at me because I, I say I just want to watch the end of this game. It's only got five minutes left, and then the five minutes end up taking 15 minutes with late-game fouls and timeouts. What can they do to stop late-game fouls, and could they limit timeouts in the entire last quarter to per team, or that burn teams out down the stretch? Feel free to shorten this, but just one of your thoughts, and that's Josh from Adelaide. Look, I think it's an issue. There is an issue the NBA has looked at. I mean, the Hacker Shack rule was tweaked because of that, where they had uh, you know teams that were hacking guys early in quarters. They, they noticed the TV viewership was changing the channel. People got sick of watching it, and look the games at the end of an nba game that's just something you got to deal with um there is a bit of a chess game there with timeouts so i wouldn't really shorten them but bro i don't really think there's many changes you can make in a late late game situation they're just you know with the foul game and 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 you know you kind of want you want you want it to run smoothly but at the same time that's going to take more time but you want that late game situation where someone can hit a buzzer beater too and that's the beauty of of that late game if you take away 
the fouling game, if a team's down, let's say, five and they're, they're intentionally fouling, um, which in FIBA is hard to do because if they deem the foul intentional, um, which generally is when you're trying to hack, it's two on the ball back. So it's harder to do in international. But um, you, I, I like the drama of a late game situation, timeouts back and forth, advance the ball, and then someone steals a game on the buzzer. How do you see all that, bro? Yeah, I agree with you. It's not really – I mean, they keep trying to tweak. And look, they – they like they do the competition committee meetings and things like that. They're always trying to find di- different ways and new ways to do things. But I, I I agree with you. I mean, it is believe me, it is boring, especially when these things get drawn out. But I don't think there's a lot. I, I like the last second shot. Obviously, everybody else does too, and and the drama of that, and you know. But there's not really a lot they can do. They'll probably come up with some new things, you know. As the years go on, but I don't think there's really a lot that you can do to it. Plus, like with the ch- um, not only the challenges, but just trying to, you know, go to the film. I think they just want to try to get everything right, and you know, they, they again they they get their they get their you know the air to the ground with with trying to make it best they can for for the fans. I think teams scoring 179 points a game is good enough, you know, and giving up 176, but. Like in the last couple of minutes, I agree. There's really not a lot you can do. Yeah, there isn't. And that's just that's the problem with the live game. Well, one thing I have liked the NBA have done. I don't know if you could catch much of them, but the condensed games, um, they're, they're pretty cool. Oh yeah, yeah. If you didn't have a chance to watch a live game, you get home from work. What they do now is ESPN do it. They they condense a full game within an hour, so they take out all this, you know all the bullshit back and forth, the reviews, all that stuff, and it's just the game. And that that appeals to some people because they just want to watch basketball. They don't want to do all the in betweens, but the only problem with that is you can't you can't do that live. Um, so if you're watching the live no. product, you, you just got to deal with the bullshit along the way. And they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. As Pro said, if if you know back in the day when there wasn't reviews and it's cost teams games, playoff series, and championships at times because there was a wrong call by a ref, you have you know fans carrying on about it for for the whole next year and talk show radios and radio shows and all that kind of stuff. So they've they've tried to fix that. And now it's the opposite. It's slowed the game down. As a TV product, even live, sometimes you're sitting there. It's become football-like, where you know there's there's a stoppage and a commercial and a review, and fans are in the crowd. Like, what the hell's going on? So that's just something you got to deal with if you want that room for error gone. So thanks for that yeah. question, um, Josh. Next one, hello, Bogues and Pro. I'm lucky. I have two cues from a player who played against him, a coach, and. Whatever this was for last week, whatever your guest does, but we didn't get to our question, so we'll just say from a player who played against him and a coach who coached against him, which is you. Why do people not like Russell Westbrook? Players not like him, KD, fans, media. I'm not a fan, but curious nonetheless. Um, and then he had one more question, which was Homicide said, Nick Kyrgios could play in the NBL, NBL one level, which is our G League. Is that true? And if so, would it be like Jay Cole, Cole in the B- Basketball Af- Africa League? First off, I would not take anything that Corey Homicide Williams says seriously. <laughs> it's very under-researched. Kyrgios loves his basketball, can play um, a little bit, but I think a little bit disrespectful to the guys at NBL one level because they still are some professionals and um, I think it'd be, you know, similar to that J. Cole type thing. I think Kyrgios could be out there and and hit a shot every now and then, but to compete at a a high level like that is tough. But how do you see the Westbrook thing? He's an alpha dog, man. Like, he's a competitive dude. He's emotional. He he doesn't fuck around, doesn't play mind games. He just, like, he's all in your face 24-7. So, for some people... You know, especially a today's player, they probably it's not the easiest guy to like. He's flamboyant. They got that fashion shit that he does too. Like, might might set people the wrong way, but he's just an aggressive guy. 
And that's not for everybody. Some people don't like that. And I understand that. Uh, teammates, same thing. Like he, he, he's not afraid to speak his mind, you know, and he's all competitive and it's all, he's all business. And yeah, sometimes that could probably be taken the, you know, that could probably be taken in the wrong way. And I could see that people didn't like him. Like I said, Kobe said he was the most competitive player that he's ever played against in his whole career. There hasn't been a more, I mean, obviously besides MJ. He said he's the most competitive player he's ever played against in his whole career. And because he, he keeps coming at you. And he keeps coming at you. And he keeps coming at you. And he's a tough dude. And I could see that people sort of rubs that the wrong way. I'm sure you've had teammates, maybe not as talented, that was like that. But, you know, you know, you probably ran into players like that. That was sort of the alpha dog, always yelling, always screaming, wanting to fight everybody 24-7 and just played like that. Um, yeah, I, I could see why that happens. I love the guy. I mean, he's not a perfect player, but he, he does play hard and he competes and he doesn't lay down. It doesn't matter if he's up 30 or down 30. He's a competitive dude. And, I, and, and you need guys like that on your team, especially in these days. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on him, folks? Oh, it's the same thing. He's, he's, a, he's a kill everyone mentality guy. So there are guys that, that won't like him. I mean, I, I don't think it's a, so much a, a stigma as everyone doesn't hate him. I think it's just they know – you know, NBA players in the regular season don't want to get hit. They don't want to grind. They don't want to get on a loose floor and loose loose ball on the floor and scuff their knees in a regular season game. And he's a guy that will demand that from you. So I think there's something that goes within that as well. Like, damn, I'm playing Westbrook. This dude, man, like he's relentless. You know, so I think that that's that's a part of it. Um, but I, I mean, he's a fiery dude, and from what I've heard off court, he's fantastic. Um, but his public perception. His media, the way he handles himself, he's an aggressive, win at all costs guy, and, and he doesn't give a shit what you think about him, and that's that's frowned upon in our league, um, unfortunately. Whereas you know, if he was the political, you know, smile, you know, kissing baby, shaking hands, then you know we call him fake. So I'd rather him be on on the other extreme, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so you're you're saying you're going to downgrade homicide to manslaughter and say that you know it's just. Uh, that that was sort of a little bit off that that guy can't play in the NBL? <laughs> well, homicide, Corey Homicide Williams is a street ball legend, self-proclaimed. Um, I've nah, heard about he, him. He yeah, is, he's, pretty, him. he's pretty, he's pretty, he's a street baller, but he's a commentator over here that just yells and screams um, and doesn't, doesn't really uh, do a whole lot of research um, about numbers and whatnot. Like the other day, I'll give you an example. Illawarra is playing, um, who were they playing the other night? Uh, Sydney. So I'm gonna call him if you don't if you're not uh, let, let's let's use a new word uh, the, the new term if you're not vibing with his the way he does things I'm gonna downgrade him to I'm not even gonna call him homicide anymore I'm calling him manslaughter so man go ahead so manslaughter he's saying what the n numbers are off on manslaughter no I'll just give you an example so I think it was the Kings oh no sorry it was Illawarra played Perth and. Um, he basically asked Perth had the ball down to he asked if if uh they would foul intentionally <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so, and the other commentators like nah they're not going to foul intentionally they're, they're up two man like they'll give them two free throws <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he replied something like oh no I'm just asking it's like you know just just he's not a he, analytics X's and O's basic numbers guy um he's more of a guy you watch to hear some screaming and yelling and some passion and you know um, that's what he does that's that, that's his go-to that's what he do that's what he do one of those commentators so basically so he's 
he he's the pro of Australia. Then he's he's he does over there what I do on this podcast. Just scream, don't research anything, and just talk out. No, of my don't ass. lower yourself to those levels, pro. Don't lower. At least you, you do. He's he's an influencer, though. So you know, if you want to oh, yeah. label yourself as an influencer, pro, then by all means. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think <laughs> Kyrgios could play at a you know NBL level. Um, competitively a lot of minutes. I mean, maybe a J. Cole type role where he's getting a few minutes a game. Um, but Kyrgios, I'll tell you what, bro, that, that guy loves basketball, man. I did a I did that function with him at um at Bondi. Mm-hmm. And man, that that guy is just loves the game of basketball. He was he was sweating up a storm in, in, in his outfit and then had to do photos after and change his clothes to do the photos and crazy. Yeah, and that's the J. What what is he? Is he a player or is he a, a is he an entertainer? What, no, Nick what Kyrgios, is he? a tennis tennis player. He's um he's an Australian tennis player. Oh shit! Yeah, oh yeah. He's, okay. he's, a, he's a dude that like flips out and like like just loses his shit mid game and serves underhand sometimes. Uh, well, I'm not sure if you know know who that is. No, I'm a, I was a huge '90s. Uh, I was a huge '90s. What's it called? '90s tennis fan. Not not as much today, except that, you know if if like Wimbledon final or or French Open final or something like that. But uh. So he's like the Jimmy Connors of like Jimmy Connors is a fucking nut like that that would scream at people and stuff and go all nuts. But he cops a bit of shit over fire? here. Cops a bit of shit over here because he's a caller as he sees it. He has had some games where he's somewhat just threatened to quit because umpire was screwing him. And so he's one of those. He's a fiery character. He's I think he's great for McEnroe. tennis. I think he's great for tennis. Yeah. He's, a, he's a love hate guy, and he's a guy that whether you love or hate him, you buy a ticket to see him. So. Uh, but loves basketball, man. Like he, he just would not stop talking to me about basketball, and and we need, you know, especially in Australia and the NBL, trying to get him down to some games. We need guys like that because they they help promote the sport. Next question, thanks for that one, Lockie. Next one is your first day in the Bay Area after the Monte, the Monte Ellis trade. What transpired, and when was the difference when you started to see fans change their perception of you? That's from H. KP. So I got when I got traded there, pro um, was not a fan friendly decision by all means. I mean, Monte Ellis was the fan favorite, even though they sucked. <laughs> he was the fan favorite because he dropped 30, 40 a night. Small guy, electrifying, fun to watch. The elephant in the room was that, you know, Steph Curry was right next to him and not really getting a chance to shine, essentially. Um, Monte was a guy that, you know, his usage was was the most on the team. He needed the ball. He kind of felt like he'd backed up a lot of those old veterans, you know, Stephen Jackson and whatnot back in the day, and he finally got his opportunity, and it was his team, as, as they say in the NBA. And so I got there, and Joe Lacob, um, I was hurt at the time, got there midseason, and still remember they they did a, a jersey retirement for Chris Mullen the week after, I, or basically five days after I got traded there. So I ended up going to that game, and Joe Lacob had to go up and give, you know, he basically gave the speech about presenting the jersey. They booed him the whole time, man. Like it was, it was, it was pretty brutal. Um, you felt bad for Joe Lacob. You felt bad for Chris Mullen because it was his night. But the, the fans just booed every time he talked based on that trade. So it was safe to say they weren't happy with the trade. But I mean, what transpired, the rest was history. I think once they saw kind of what I brought, just with some toughness in the paint, shot blocking, screen setting, just doing stuff that no one had really done for them for a number of years, the appreciation started to grow. And I think the fans now realize that that was a no brainer move, um, even though at the time, you know, an ind- individual player that was fun to watch got moved on, and now the team is, you know, in a position where they've had a bunch of championships and rebuilt the the right way. So that um that was an interesting process, bro. Yeah, it's one of those things, Bogues, that where like, especially if you don't watch anyone else play, like if you don't watch, if you just watch your team, and they obviously weren't watching the Milwaukee Bucks all that much, I would assume, and then the, 
you know, I remember Monte, you know, Don Nelson gave him this chance in, uh, in Golden State. I think I had him on fantasy that year where he wasn't, he was off the, like the coach before, didn't really play him. And I think Don Nelson was the one who sort of gave him, gave him his go. If I'm not mistaken, maybe I am, but, um, I could see why they really liked him. They, they probably didn't see you play a lot. And then it, usually it happens this way when they play for somebody else, you don't really like them. They play for you and then you start seeing some, you know, some value. I could see that happen, and plus, you're not a flashy player. He was. Yeah, I, I get I can it. See why. I got it totally. Yeah. Like I'm not. I'm not a highlight guy. You know, I tried to yeah. to win games and play my role with whatever I needed to do. So, um, I understand yeah. the fans' frustration, but that, that completely backfired on most of those people, which is pretty funny. Within a year, no it was, you know, and that crowd was then rocking and and, and going crazy. But that that's a part of pro sports. It's just something you have to deal with. Like I was, you know, help motivate me a little bit to show what I can do. And I think Joe Lacob with his five hundred million dollar purchase to $10 billion valuation has also had a pretty good laugh about it as, as, as well. So, um, it's all worked out for everyone. No doubt. All right, next one. No doubt. With the Australian basketball season winding down, a lot of talk is popping up about travel schedules. One team did six games in 11 days in four states. This seems excessive, but compared to the NBA, it's normal, although the NBA has private jets. Having played in college, NBA and NBL, how do the travel loads compare between the different leagues and how does travel affect the players? It's something that players don't mind. And only fans use as an excuse. Love the pod, mate. Keep speaking up. Ben from Perth in Australia. Um, look, the travel does take a toll. It's it's more the cross country flights for me in the NBA that killed me. Like I remember one night, we one game we um back when Atlanta was balling and they had those four or five all stars and and we were balling in the West. We were kind of the two number one seeds from each conference and we were flying out to Atlanta to play them. So it was a pretty big game, and um, they they put us on a. It was basically a cross-country flight. So, the way it usually works is the NBA won't send you all the way coast to coast. They'll send you to like the Midwest and you'll slowly make your way out to the to the either coast so you can, you know, not kill yourself with time zone changes. But they put us on a flight, got, you know, San Francisco to um, Atlanta, 10 a.m. takeoff. We, land, we got to our hotel room basically at 7 p.m., 8 p.m. with the time difference and then played that next night. And I was I was still in I was still in the Bay Area that next night. I don't know where the hell I was. It was like jet lag, fatigued. So it does take its toll. That that's just the perils of the business. Um, the NBL is a little bit better, although it is commercial. So sometimes you're whatever the airlines, you get cancelled flight weather, you you're kind of stuck. Whereas in the NBA is a bit more freedom with with your own plane. Um, and college, college for us. Was 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 pretty tough at times as well because it was commercial and we'd be going to a lot of smaller. Sometimes those smaller schools would kill you because you'd have to take two or three flights. But now, you know, some colleges have private jets. From what I understand, we didn't at the time, but they they, they travel private or charter. But it is what it is. You know, back in the day before planes, you know, NBA players were taking you know buses and trains and whatever they could at times. So um, that's just that's just the reality you have to deal with, bro. Yeah, the travel, I mean, the travel is great in the NBA without question, but it, it gets tiring at, at times, especially with back-to-backs and sleep schedules. Uh, the Mavericks, uh, like my last year or two, they would, I think you were with us too at the time, uh, um, like whenever we played LA or on the like deep West Coast, we would stay the night instead of like, finishing the night, finishing the game, flying out and getting back late, um, really late. Usually you just stay the night and spend the next day. You know, I guess there's the argument, do you sleep in your own bed versus, you know, sleep in your own bed, but you have to travel half the night to get to your own bed? Or do you stay at a five-star hotel's bed, you know, and then and then fly out the next day? I mean, I, I was in the D-League Bogues where we were doing commercial 
having six, nine guys fucking middle seats on Southwest airline flights, you know, getting up at four, like four 30 AM wake up calls. It's not, I mean, there are some travels that's pretty rough, man, but like NBA, I mean, you know, it depends how you are as a sleeper. You might be a finicky sleeper. You may not care. Uh, people are banged up with injuries. It affects them at the end of the year. Um, every team's yeah, different. I mean, it, every team's different. Yeah. So Scott Skiles was one that was if we he he was a fly home at all costs guy. Um, what that means is so if we played tonight wherever in 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 LA and didn't play again until four nights later, he'd still want to fly home after the game to Milwaukee and get there at two three in the morning and then be in our own bed and be resettled there. And the other part of his strategy, I believe, was he didn't want guys to be out all night. So he thought that after a game, most guys, and this is probably true, after a game, most guys can't get to sleep for three, four hours anyway. So you're going to bed late. So why not be on a plane, knock that dead time out, and then you're in your city, and then they're not, they're not out on, on the booze or whatever till 6, 7 a.m. anyway. So there is a strategy to both ways. Steve Kerr and the Golden State Warriors got a sleep specialist in, and, and they recommended that we fly, we, sta- we stay overnight, and also when we fly out to a city, we then started going straight to the arena to do, shoot- to do a practice session off the plane, which I hated because my back would be so tight from the travel. But their thought was that it gets you moving, even though you feel like you're running in mud or dirt, it gets that out before the game the next day. And, and that kind of makes sense as well. And, and they have they have all these specialists for everything now. And I guess at the end of the day, it is it is the coach's call and, and some like it, some hate it. Yeah, yeah, like you said, it depends on the team. But I don't think there's a perfect way to do it, to be honest with you. I think it just sort of, you know, you're always going to have one or two players, three players on a different, you know, different type of schedule. And it's going to get impacted plus or minus on it. So, Ah, fuck it. You deal with it. It's, you know, it is what it is. It's better than taking a train, brother. That's yeah. it, or a bus, yeah. All right, I want to finish with story time. So, last week we spoke about um, unruly fans and some crazy shit that we've seen along the way. So, I thought I'd discuss a few of these that I've got, and I don't know if you've got any um, that you've dealt with while on the NBA circuit. Um, we've heard we've heard the baseball story 15 times, so you don't have to tell us that one again in your Jordan sweatsuit. No, fuck but, that uh, one. Uh. <laughs> but... but I've had a few. I've had a few. One, one of the one of the craziest ones I had was we played the San Antonio Spurs. It was our first playoff run with the Warriors. We beat Denver in that first round series. Played the Spurs the next year, and and we we should have been we should have won the first two games. We 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 were up we were up. I can't even remember what it was. We're up some like eight points with a minute left in game one, and ended up losing, and then won game two. So we should have won game one. But I remember we lose game one. Like I think Ginobili hit something on the buzzer or close to, and um. The, we stayed in San Antonio that the next couple of nights because we had game two and a, a Spurs fan followed our bus the whole way from the arena. Now, the Spurs arena is pretty far from downtown San Antonio or near any hotels. It's probably a good 20, 30-minute drive at times. Um, it's in the middle of like a just a, a random residential area, not the nicest area by any means, but that's, that's where the AT&T Center is, if it's still called that. So, so some fan followed our car the whole way, 30 minutes, um, and would – We'd drive up and down our bus, honking the horn, flags out the window, flipping us off the whole drive, man. For thirty minutes, we're just like, "What the hell is going on?" Like, because you know, most guys are on the bus and their you know headphones are on and they're not paying attention and blah 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 blah. And yeah, this car is just honking, honking, honking all the way to the hotel. We got to get off the bus and they're still yelling at us. So that was pretty crazy because our team security was like, "Shit, is something going to go down?" But they were just some passionate, crazy ass fans that just wanted to do something silly. My rookie year. I ended up getting ejected from a game. I was frustrated, not playing well that whole month, really. And I, uh, I, I get ejected. And as I'm walking out, a fan leans over the stanchion, abusing me, like, you know, it's too, too late to show some passion now or something like that. And 
my first thought was to try and grab him by the collar and punch him in the face. And I was like, oh, shit, I can't reach him because he's too high up. Because I was like fuming. Right. I was like seeing red. And it was my home team, right? So that was my first foray into flipping a fan off. And it was my it was a home fan of all fans. <laughs> so of ended, course. Up, ended up getting a 25K fine for that. And um, the last one I remember was autograph seekers. So with Brandon Jennings, his rookie year, he had that 55-point night. He was, he's, he was blowing up. His star was shining. And um, in Toronto, they're notorious for following your bus from the arena to the airport because in Toronto, it's one of the few arenas in the league where you have to go through the commercial entrance to get to your flight. Oh, um, the worst. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, because you have to go through passport control and all that bullshit. Whereas in, in the NBA circuit, our bus literally drives onto the tarmac to the steps of our plane and we get on. So that's how it is for 29 teams and then 30 in Toronto, you got to go through all that bullshit. So the fans will know this. So we walked through the commercial part and there was these autograph hunters just like, just irking at, um, at Brandon Jennings, just like, oh, I'll sign. And he'd signed a few and then said, that's enough. Like, I'm done. And one guy just kept going at him, going at him, walking with him through security. And he, um, I was behind Brandon, just kind of letting it unfold. I'm like, dude, just he doesn't want to sign, leave him alone. He's like, no, no, I need this sign, I need this sign. And he grabs Brandon by his, uh, by his backpack. Um, and that was enough for me. So I basically just grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and just basically just missiled him. <laughs> just gave me an excuse to throw the dude. And I'm just like, dude, like, don't don't put your hands on my teammate. And that's probably, you know, the most interaction I've had with NBA fans that were that kind of went south or were a little strange. But that's that's kind of what what you deal with on a daily basis. And the fact that I interact with them so much on a daily basis to only have three or four of these stories, I think is isn't too bad. But um I'm sure you have. You've probably seen some shit before, just walking down hotel lobbies and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, you, you get all these crazy people trying to get autographs. I told you, like sometimes I would go, not a lot, but sometimes I go out to eat with Dantich, and they would. And I told you before, they're getting bad. Like, there's definitely going to be something that happens. Like following guys to, you know, following us to go out to eat and having to deal with that. It's it's a tough one. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of funnier story though. We were in New Orleans and we had this drunk fan like literally right behind our bench and she was screaming in our ear like really bad. Like literally like it's the it's loudest fan I've ever heard. She was drunk off her ass screaming behind, screaming behind. So I, it's me and God Sham got our other player development coach at the time and we were just like, we can't do anything about it. Can't put anything in your ear. You got to deal with it all game. Literally, my ears are bleeding. And I turn around and she's like, she's two rows behind us. And in one row, she's screaming in this little old lady's ear. And like, I thought, the, I don't know how she stayed there the whole game. Nice lady. So I turn around after the game. I said, fuck this. I get out of my pocket. I got a $100 bill and I gave I gave it to the old lady. I said, I apologize for dealing with what you had to deal with. And I just walked away. And yeah, the story sucked, but the old lady came up with a hundred bucks. That's the only thing I got. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just never ends. I think some of these people just- Yeah. It just, they think they're part of it. Like, and I get it. Like that's, you know, you live for it. You're drinking a little bit, but like you're living for it. And they, they think they're part of it and they, you know, they want to banter back and forth. They just want a reaction out of anybody. Now, she wasn't really unruly as far as like talking smack or anything like that. And she was our fan. But like, it's just like, it gets to a point where you scream. I'm talking about loudest scream I ever heard for 48 minutes of an NBA game, two and a half hours, basically. 
and you know, and that it, starts fights rough, in, in the crowd. Not only not only the player fan aspect, then someone else says shut up on the old lady's behalf, and then they're drunk. And, and but I'll tell you one guy. There is look, we have unruly fans, but the best one. Uh, do you know? Do you remember the guy in Philadelphia with the whiteboard? Yeah, the whiteboard. Yeah. Oh, oh man, he's, he had he's, some he's great good. stuff he's on the good. whiteboard. He's good. So so there's a guy in Philadelphia. He sits behind an old dude, probably 50, 60 years old, probably sixty years old. Um, he brings his own little whiteboard, like just one of those A4, maybe A3 size whiteboards with a whiteboard marker. And when you ha- he sits behind the visiting bench, comes to most games, and he'll sit there. And, you know, as there's a timeout, all the bench players are kind of looped around the coach. So we're looking towards the crowd. He'll just write the funniest shit on, the, on that whiteboard. Yeah. Like he, he's, he railed me for my beard, like having a hobo beard one time. He'll rail like, I think, I think Dirk got it one time when we were there with Dallas about his age, like, you know, should be in a retirement home. Just really funny, quirky stuff. Yeah. Borderline offensive, like, like banter offensive, but not derogatory in a way like this, you know, no. he's not. And, and, and that's great. I love that kind of stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, you don't like it to be about you at times, but that guy's great because he, he's a spectacle within himself. Um, he doesn't say a word, and then he'll just hold. He'll draw what he's whatever he dra- draws or writes, and just holds it under his chin, staring at you. <laughs> he's just like yeah. this guy's nuts, and it's funny, right? Like that 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 kind of stuff you love, but it's you know once it escalates and there could be you know an altercation or abuse, that's that's when you want to draw the line. Yeah, I've heard some crazy. I've seen some crazy things, like uh, and actually a fan died at a Portland game. It was the same night that Wesley Matthews tore his Achilles. Um, for Portland, not for us yet. And a, a, a fan like across the court from our bench, like 15 rows up, died, had a heart attack and, and a long time season ticket holder. Like during our game, they had to grab her and they wheeled her across the court. And she, yeah, she died that night. I mean, you just see some crazy stuff sometimes in games, but you know, the unruly fan thing is rough. You see, you know, people throwing things, not as bad as Europe, of course where they're throwing with firecrackers and stuff, but like it gets a little, you know, it gets a little rough. That guy in that guy in Philly is fantastic. Uh, that guy in Philly is fantastic with the with the whiteboard though. He writes some funny shit. Yeah. That'd be that's probably you or I when we're when we're 60. <laughs> oh, without question. <laughs> Going to sporting games. But uh that wraps up episode 23. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Pro, for joining us. Uh, like, subscribe at Hoop Consultants and at Rogue Bogues and all your social media platforms. Thanks.